that's kind of like what it is. Like, clearly, Jordan Wheel has a wheelhouse. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jordan Peel has a wheelhouse, not Jordan Wheel has a wheelhouse. Jordan Wheel has a peel house? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm sorry if I seemed off this morning. My long-term girlfriend just broke up with me. Now, I know I probably didn't get that quote exactly right because it's not on the, like, quotes page for IMDb, um, but that's the quote when uh, Angel shows up to install all their, uh, you know, camera equipment uh, in the first act of the movie, shows up to the Haywood Ranch and stuff like that. But for some reason, that line is stuck with me, and I have to say Angel was one of my, um, you know, highlights of the movie. I really liked that character, but... Let's get into it, Zach. Everybody's, you know, we're not hiding it. Everybody saw the title of this episode. We're discussing the most recent and relatively recent Jordan Peele movie. So everybody out there, and to you, Zach, we're in the combat seat, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> <laughs> that was my whole thing, like, leading up, sitting in the theater, like, during the credits. I was just, like, turning to the people I saw it with, and I was like, we gone Drax, them, sclounced. I was thinking I should have brought, like, a box cutter and been, like, you know, 3.56 inches, perfectly legal. And I I kept saying, I was like, you think some Terrys are going to get froggy up in here? I gave no context to my friends when I went to see that. I was just quoting the Terrys sketch constantly. <laughs> oh, God. To this day, the only, like, Key and Peele thing that, what, how, how many years removed from the uh, the oh, sketch comedy oh, Fort month? Oh, Three? Man, probably five. Probably yeah. ten. <laughs> it, it, I wish it were ten. Um, I, I, to this day, I will go back and rewatch that because that is a just sheer, sheer bananas sketch. Oh, it's one of the best sketches ever. It's so ridiculous in its creation, and uh, I still, I will never forget it. You know, like when I, when I'm like, you know, have dementia later in life, it'll just be like, you know, I'm in the. Do you know where you are? I'm in the combat seat, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and they'll be like, that's all he talks about. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, we're talking Nope. Uh, I'm excited that we're doing this. This was something uh, that I didn't know we were, I wasn't expecting we were going to do, um, but I'm glad we are. Uh, Zach and I both saw it in theaters. Um, I, I know we're going to get into our theater-going experiences, um, but I feel like, you know, there's something that we have to get out of the way right off the bat. It's 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 something that's, you know, I hope you noticed. I'm sure you did. Something that I freaked out at when it came up in the movie, it's a one-seam cameo. A very special one-scene cameo from Barbie Ferreira, who we know is oh, Cat yeah. from Euphoria. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got, I got very. I probably shouldn't say this because it's, uh, it's probably unbecoming of myself. I got just excited for the Keith David cameo as I did for the Barbie Ferreira cameo, and so I might have a problem. <laughs> I will say that I, again. We'll talk about a lot of the uh, discourse around this film and just people's like kind of misplaced indifference toward it. But that is a moment where it's like, huh? 
Like, like clearly, she's oh god. Since Euphoria did its thing in 2019, mm-hmm. she is a recognizable character actor. Oh yeah, and and, yeah. She, and she's inserted into what one scene in the entire film. One scene. She never comes back. She has what one or two lines of dialogue in that scene. I I was thinking maybe she was going to pop back up as the longtime girlfriend that broke up with Angel, but that does not happen. Uh, very strange, but you know, it was a moment like uh, of me pointing at the screen, being like, "Oh my god, I know her." <laughs> I will say they're also like, did you pick up on where Osgood Perkins was in this? Because like, I was doing my research. He's the director he of the, in this? director of the commercial of that uh, the Haywoods get fired from when the horse freaks out. Is that what he's from? Okay, because yeah, I didn't pick yep. up on him. I saw him after the fact, but he was kind of like, like after seeing this movie twice, I still couldn't figure out where he was in this. I was very excited. Those were those were the three cameos where I was like, "That's awesome." We got Keith David, Osgood Perkins, and Barbie Ferreira. I was like, "Well cast cameos right there." Props to you, Jordan Peele. <laughs> oh God! It's all right, Rob. Before we delve into this in any sort of meaningful way, do we want to talk about the theater going experience? Oh yeah, yeah, we have to uh, because I, I know we've set it up probably a while last year when we did what Candyman. I know that it came up in Candyman, not just, you know, wanting to go see a Jordan Peele movie in theaters or, you know, knowing what that would be like. I know we also are going to get into the uh, the whole your hypothesis or theory that, you know, he's going to be the next M. Night Shyamalan. Um, but I knew I had to see this in theaters because it was going to be an experience. You know, it's one of those things where it's like nobody knows what it's about. And so, you know, you got to see it with a big crowd type of thing. And I did. I saw it with a in a packed theater, pretty much. Uh, not opening weekend. I think it was second, the week after it came out, just because of you know my own schedule scheduling issues. Um, but it was still very crowded, and it was quite interesting. I, I it was a very respectful crowd for sure. A lot of the uh, the the tension in the movie you could feel in the theater. I mean, the I, I know I might be jumping the gun, but you know, if, if if you haven't seen this movie yet, you know, spoilers. In the second act, you see a, a very long, drawn out, full on chimp attack on the set of a sitcom. You could cut the tension in the room with a knife. Everybody was completely silent. Everybody was so just enthralled in that scene. The um the little tiny aliens messing with um. Daniel Kaluuya, that turned out to be the kids dressed up, you know, uh, from the Jupiter Ranch thing. That very creepy scene, everybody was silent. It was so weird to just be in a room that quiet. And it was, it was, I have to say, quite wonderful. I think it added a lot to the experience. Um, because by the time the third act comes, and, you know, we, I'll get to my thoughts on the third act, everybody was just totally into it. And you could, I felt you could really feel... It's like the um, it's like the the watchers in uh, Little Nightmares Two, the video game. You can feel them getting sucked into the screen, you know. Um, so I I thought it was well worth it to see in a theater. Very respectful. Nothing went wrong. That type of thing. Oh, except Justin did drop some popcorn at one point, and that was pretty funny. <laughs> God damn it, Justin! You have one job. <laughs> and so you know you hear the I, he was sitting next to me and so you hear like the popcorn bag hit the floor and you, the popcorn like you know like whatever noise imagine the noise popcorn makes hitting the ground and spreading out and then you hear him go no <laughs> <laughs> but no i i loved seeing this in theater i'm glad it was packed you know that type of stuff and also not a lot of people went got up and went to the bathroom or anything like that 
you know, I think the the laugh lines hit the theater the way they needed to. Of course, Daniel Kaluuya punching one of the kids in the alien costume um, got a huge laugh from the audience and stuff like that. Um, but I, I had no issues with it. So I'm assuming, Zach, uh, that you went to the Galleria and um, the audio was desynced from the video. Is that what you're going to tell us? Actually, what happened, Rob, <laughs> was that it was the audio from Minions. That's what was – it was because they're both universal films. They just took the visuals from Nope and had – heard banana Yeah, Keith like David's talking straight. to uh, Daniel Kaluuya in the first scene and Keith David's just, you know, banana, banana. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Um, no. So uh, I, I, I it, this probably was my second most look forward to film after Elvis. Um, pre-ordered my tickets for IMAX. Saw it at the good old Danbury IMAX theater. Nice. Um, really, nothing noteworthy happened outside of good old Maria Menounos and her dolphin laugh, which yes. will be discussed at some point. <laughs> Maybe not this episode, but later on down the road. Um, no, like I really could not have asked for a better audience. Nobody really did anything outside the norm as to what the movie was wanting you to do. Sure. Um, probably but- one of my 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 only memory from the theater going uh, audience was that at that moment in the film where David Kaluuya's uh, OJ is like in the horse stables and like you see like kind of like an arm or like a head poke out of mm-hmm. one of Jupe's kids and like this is before obviously the reveal that they're kids and the a, a woman in the audience just goes oh hell no <laughs> like it was so like again it was so much fun you know you obviously know like the movie at that point is trying to mislead you yeah, yeah. into what it is that you're looking at but um, no it was like that authentic reaction to a movie like it wasn't like over the top it wasn't embellished oh hell no like i'm just like thank you lady because you made my day um <laughs> nice <laughs> i will say though i saw the movie a second time because uh, rachel loves drive-ins even though it is the antithesis to the imax experience right? yeah watching a film in the worst possible way possible um i i fascinatingly enough during it was a double feature of nope and the black phone um I did not want to see the black phone. I fell asleep during that because I had no intentions on watching it, but I wanted to see Nope again just because Nope, I really enjoyed Nope. During the drive-in experience, I would say at least a minimum a dozen cars turned on and left during Nope within wow. the first 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Within the first 30 minutes, at least a dozen cars. Like, And there was something weird going on with the drive-in where like – there was an exit sign, but they weren't letting people go out the normally designated exit. So like people had to go like all the way to the front, then turn around, go oh. to like, so like it was rather pronounced when people, never mind the people next to us also left their like, Oh God, daytime lights on throughout like half the movie. Yeah. yeah. There was a lady mad too. Cause she spent $70 on concession stand stops and they wouldn't give her any nacho cheese for free. So she was <laughs> cursing throughout. Like again, <laughs> I, I, if Rob ever missed Poughkeepsie, I will just feed him little uh, tidbits like yeah. that occasionally. And any sort of just morsel, morsel of homesickness will immediately uh, vanish. Um, but no, it was like, again, we'll definitely get into more the weird public reaction to this movie and, and, and why it seems that this film is kind of, I don't want to say a cultural dud because people are not talking about was overall, I would say, a pretty stellar summer movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, but no, I would have it, to agree. It's just, it's stellar. I loved this movie. Completely loved this movie. I, I have to ask though, is that in my preparation for this, 
I went back and looked at the trailers. I can't speak for commercials because commercials are so kind of weird nowadays, TV spots. Yeah. Is, do you, as of recording this, the current box office, I'm trying to get the exact number, it's it's over $100 million, but it's not going to meet the, the totals of us, or as Rob likes to call it, US, of course. or Get Out. Do you think there's a reason why this film is not resonating the same way those other films do? My... I, I was thinking about that as well, and this ties into why I think I love this so much and why I think it's my favorite Jordan Peele film. He's only been getting better, folks. My my ranking is literally reverse of how he's released them. I like this the best, U.S. the second best, and Get Out. Get Out I've only disliked more over time. And, and I kind of do want to talk a little bit about the comparisons between them, but I think it has to do with word of mouth on this movie because – uh, maybe maybe not word of mouth, but also the, the full trailer. Because I only saw two trailers for this, and they were both in theaters. The one before the Batman that I saw was the teaser, which was basically very short and told you nothing about the movie. And it was just all—it was so fucking dark, you couldn't really tell what was going on. It was one of the scenes when the um, the aliens, like, above the, um, the, the, the ranch at nighttime and the horses are freaking out or something like that. The second trailer I saw definitely leaned into the fact that it's like, what's the plot? Well, it's these people trying to get footage of an alien. And so I think not only did that second trailer say, oh, this is going to be like an alien movie, um, but also then word of mouth became, well, when people saw it opening weekend, I would imagine all their friends or their, their saying things, everybody's like, well, what's the social message of this one? Like, are we are we getting it racist people? Are we getting it classist people? Like what what peg is is Jordan Peele knocking down this time? And everybody, I think most people who aren't thinking a lot about this movie are saying like I don't think there is a social message. Like maybe like don't use animals as actors and it's just an alien movie. And I would imagine that a lot of people go, "Oh, it's it's just an alien movie." Like but is is the alien like a symbol for the oppressed Ukrainians? No, I don't think so. Oh, and, and they're kind of like, well, that, that, that's no good. I want to I be told that I'm wrong in my day-to-day life by Jordan Peele, and I need to think a different way, which I think this movie's doing and nobody's really getting, but we'll get into that. But that's, that was what I was thinking about that factor, that the indifference is they, they've been expecting or they've come to expect Jordan Peele to be like, yeah, we're giving it to the man. We're pointing out the truths, you know, like he's a slam poet or something, you know? Like the slam poet at the surgery in that episode of Shivering Truth. And it's like, he didn't do that this time. And everybody goes, well, well, then okay, I don't care, you know? It's just another alien movie, which it's not. But that's my, that's my hypothesis. That's the, that's the thing I kept thinking about a lot while watching this. And kind of like the weekend, like, the weekend box office grosses. Mm-hmm. In that I, like... I'm watching this, and it should be stated for the record in case it hasn't become clear in previous Cinemati's episodes. And like, I do not like Jordan Peele as like a creative, a filmmaker. Yeah, period. Yep. <laughs> um, get I think Get Out is a fantastic joke on the audience because anybody who likes that film, it pretty much gives you the finger in that. Like, if you like that film, you are the the father character being like i would have voted for obama a third mm-hmm. time if i could like mm-hmm. you are part of the problem if you like that film and if you don't like it then you're proving his point that you're a bigot like it, jordan again i think jordan peele is very very intelligent he, he and that's probably his biggest detriment he's probably too clever for his audience <laughs> sure it, 
And, and so, like I said, there's a lot of, again, I did a lot of research into this, just trying to figure out where his career trajectory is going. So, like, obviously, I walk out of this movie. And like I said, I had rather low expectations. Like Rob said, there were really only two pieces of marketing for this. Um, there was a teaser trailer and there was a theatrical trailer. And I, obviously, the teaser trailer, like you said, played during the spring. The theatrical trailer, I think, played before Elvis, Doctor Strange. Like, again, yeah, your, your normal yeah. blockbusters of the early summer. And so during that second trailer, and I rewatched them both this morning in preparation for this recording, that first trailer is very is a great teaser trailer. It doesn't tell you anything. It has some really interesting visuals mm-hmm. and it kind of is like, what the hell is this even about? Like that that's the it, it's a giant question mark. Yep. That second trailer is three minutes long, which is easily a minute longer than it has to be. And the the tone is three different like positions. The first third is like horror thriller. Second is like adventure film. Yeah. And third is Spielbergian film. <laughs> sure. And sure. so I'm convinced that during the market testing of this, the market research focus groups, the studio didn't. It was basically giving them results as to what eventually happened with it being released in theaters. The marketing department did not know how to sell this film. It just, it just, it didn't. And so they figured, okay, we have to kind of throw, it's a shotgun approach, which is very dangerous because it has the potential to work, but more likely than not, it's going to disenfranchise people or mislead them at best case. Sure. So watching this film, like I went into it, not with a chip on my shoulder, but I'm like, I do not like Jordan Peele nonsense. Like I, like get out. I don't like us. I think, us is very convoluted and i think the sins of us unfortunately fell upon this film's shoulders i think a lot of people mm. did not like us and they checked out from this oh, they're just like no nope. yeah i think us disenfranchised a lot of people and so as i'm watching this in the theater i'm like this is this is kind of phenomenal i'm just at one point and it's during the oh god a Jupiter's Clay moment where he obviously the entire crowd is being sucked up into the alien and you get this fantastic oh god it reminded me of Under the Skin where you get this mm. fantastic moment of like this I, I don't even know if there's a name for it within the canon of Jordan Peele filmmaking <laughs> of like the belly of the beast. And like in especially in IMAX theater, you have this this cacophony of just sounds. And I'm like, at one point, Rachel turned around to me, and I have this giant shit eating grin on my face because I'm like, this is all I want from from a blockbuster. I want an audience for a blockbuster that's captive, looking at something they would never normally look at. Yes. I just want I just want an obtuse visual with just this like the equivalent of putting utensils in a blender. I I want this. I want the mass audience to is to feel uncomfortable when they're supposed to be feeling safe. Oh That's my god! The all sound design in that the sound design in the whole movie I love, but the sound design in the uh, the the actual seeing the alien ingest you know people and all the screaming and like the the almost mechanical you know. It's it's like it sounded like metal machine music, the Lou Reed mm-hmm. album. That's you know, like you said, you know, cutlery in a blender and, and feedback and stuff like that. I was so all about that. <laughs> it is like, and, and that's what like, again. It's like this is perfect. Like in an IMAX theater, I'm like after they've been spending the last two months telling people this is the venue you need to be watching this in. Yeah. Um, I'm just like this is great. I'm like this is everything. But at the whole same time, though, like there's the like producer part of my brain where I'm just like. 
this is going to disenfranchise people. Absolutely. Like people are – this is going to piss people off. And so like you're watching this entire movie and even by the time you get to the third act and, and it's weird. Like all the reviews I watched, listened, read for this, no, but there's really no clear consensus on as to what half of the movie is the best. Sure. Um, sure. A lot of people say the first half is good. The other people say the second half is good even though it might be a little more drawn out than it has to be. And I'm just sitting there I'm like – all of this is good. I'm just like this. <laughs> yeah. Really, like, like when I watched it the first time, like obviously I'm along with the ride. I, I, I should say that like going into this, I read spoilers. Like I read the Wikipedia okay. page like the night before watching this, and it was great because whoever wrote the Wikipedia page, whenever I read it clearly has some form of mental deficiency <laughs> because it did a horrible job of laying out what happened, but it gave a decent enough job at the broad strokes yeah, as to okay. what was happening. And I'm just like, oh, this is good. Like it's giving it's giving me at least like a very thin line of context as to what to expect. So obviously once you get to all the Gordy stuff, I knew exactly kind of like what the film was getting at. It mm-hmm. didn't feel as removed from the plot at large, because one thing I did see in a lot of reviews is that people are like, there's no point to the Gordy stuff. Like, why isn't the lady in the crowd of Jupe's claim like an alien? She should be an alien. Why wouldn't you have an alien in a sequel? What? And it's like... <laughs> what is that even... This, what? <laughs> because what happened was that dummies... Like, if you if you looked at any of the marketing for this movie, the one thing they showed kind of consistently across all of this outside of, like, the banner, like, dangling from the sky, is, or whatever you want to call it, the oh, tassel, yeah, yeah. Is, is obviously the Gordy's home co-star that was horribly disfigured from the incident. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, dummies on the internet with that visual combined with the TMZ reporter uh, reporter were convinced that that was, those were aliens for some reason. They thought those two characters oh would be a main characters and B, they would be aliens in the movie. And so when that doesn't happen, and forget about not happening. It's just that's not what it is at all. Yeah, if you have yeah. any <laughs> grounding in reality, you know that's not what's going to happen. But for some reason, dummies on the internet did not like that. And that was something that they, it seems like they they were hostile about. And that led to a portion. It's like, oh, yeah, it's not it's not as crazy. It's I don't even know how to characterize it. It's just it's like if you look at user reviews, mm-hmm. the big thing is like, oh, it's not what it's making itself out to be. Like mm-hmm. the word of mouth is not that this is bad. It's kind of like what you were saying, Rob, in that the word of mouth was this movie is very misleading. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it, I've, I've it, seen it, some of that same sentiment, sure. And when that happens, that is just as bad, if not worse, than a movie being bad. If a movie's bad, it's kind of like, you know what? I wanted a 10-star steak and I got a five. If you say, oh, it wasn't a steak, it was a salad, that pisses people off because it's not just simply that it's not what it is. They feel they're being misled. Haven't and we talked just, about that something before? Is like a lot of the movies that get like F cinema score or what? I think it's cinema score, whatever that asks the people as they come out of the theater, the ones that get really terrible cinema scores are when people are like, that was not what I was promised type of thing. Yes, yes. And that's why I think it is. I think a lot of people went into this wanting a... As crazy as it sounds, a Blumhouse movie. Oh uh, yeah, they yeah. want they wanted oh god Bagul from Sinister. <laughs> they 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 want the Conjuring where you have this like character you see for a fraction of a second just doing something. Um, and so when you don't get that boogeyman, I think people got pissed off, and those people who did see it opening weekend intentionally poisoned the well for anybody else that might just want to stumble into this as like. 
a curiosity. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that goes along with the um, that I think the message of this movie, the theme and the message of this movie, is not overt. It, it's definitely not as overt of you know Get Out or Us. I mean, you know, I it, it took me a while to really land on what I think the message of this movie was. Where everybody, when they watched Get Out, they were like, "Yes, racism is bad." But in Jordan Peele put the little twist on it because the racists are putting themselves into, you know, black people's bodies. And everybody came out of us going, you know, I, I get it, you know. It's like I'm, I'm with this movie because it's about the haves and the have-nots. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't be putting a bunch of clones and tethers into the tunnels under the United States, you know. And I'm, and I'm here going, no, you, the message of the movie was very overt, but it was about, you know, the, um, the FBI giving guns to the Iranians and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> where in this movie, I think, you know, a lot of people probably came out of it and they were like, like I was saying, uh, that's not what I expected. It was misleading. I, I wanted a message. I didn't get a message when I, I, and maybe, maybe you're right. I think you are right. Actually, you said Jordan Peele's a little too smart for the audience where he went way too into saying something, I think in a very, very, you know, storytelling way, rather than just basically saying it outright, like he did in his first two movies. And they didn't like that. They It's not what they expected, not what they were told they were going to get, or for some reason think they were told they were going to get because it was a Jordan Peele movie. Yeah, but I think the thing, too, is that that marketing did not do the yeah, film any favors. Because like, I looked at that, that second trailer, and that second trailer just gives kind of all the money shots away. Because um, there are some – again, like the deformed co-star mm-hmm. – the the TMZ reporter those are striking visuals like if you watch those movies they capture your eye the moment they hit the screen yes. the problem is the marketing department should have hid those like the mark and I get it like the marketing department's job is not to hide this hide the secrets of the film it's there to get butts in the seats for better or worse do you think this uh, would have been more well received I know this is a tough question to answer because it's you know hindsight but if they if the second trailer even if a little longer was still just as mysterious as the teaser maybe um the the it goes back to just like it's hard to sell movies these days yeah, just because funny. like it, it's that thing of it's funny i was having a conversation today at work with someone it's that we've diluted entertainment um and this goes even back to what i was saying with the driving with people leaving we have conditioned people now because of netflix and as much as rob hates it when i bring this up is that because netflix is just a trough yes. there's nothing think about it you don't get fine cuisine from a trough. You just don't. <laughs> um, even when Netflix spends millions of dollars, it's still slop. Like look at The Gray Man with Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling and, and was Anna de Armas. Mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's still slop. Um, it might be some slop with ketchup on it, but it's still slop. So you've conditioned for the last – oh, God, Netflix has been around what now is a prevalent thing for over a decade in the culture. Yep. You have conditioned audiences that for – if they don't like something in the first 20 minutes, they just they, they walk away. You've conditioned your audience to dismiss you and not give you a chance. And for some reason, Hollywood has not rejected that, it is wholeheartedly embraced it. And not just until recently with the whole kind of like Warner Discovery merger, where they're like, nope, we are gonna like we're no more poisoning the brand. We're just gonna flush this stuff out mm-hmm. and because it's it's not worth it. We're not gonna poison the brand just for the sake of having a breadth of content. Um, I don't know. Like I said, the, the tri- I think this film was always going to be an uphill battle because I do think that us, U.S., did <laughs> not do the Jordan brand 
um, sorry, the Jordan Peele brand any favors. Um, I think that was an instance of audiences felt cheated and they you know what we're not going to give him the same chance this time. And I think Jordan Peele again made a really, really good film. Um, very as much as I was saying beforehand, comparable to signs. I think it, it it's definitely on the record in the Candyman discussion. Mm-hmm. This is his signs on a creative level, but not on a box office level. Like is signs, signs that- two after Six Sense because I know so I know Six yes. Sense is not his yes. first movie. So yes. it's it's Six Sense, Unbreakable, then Signs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And signs okay. and the thing about Signs is again, I like ideally we'll be talking about that soon. Um, signs made in two, 20 years ago two hundred and thirty five dollars, uh, thirty five million dollars. <laughs> He made two hundred thirty-five dollars. M. Knight's grandmother watched it yeah, ten yeah, times yeah, in a row. Yeah. Um, no, that's the, no. the movies before Six Sense made two hundred thirty-five dollars. What yes, something? Yes. Well, I know Wide Awake's one of them. I don't know. I remember what the other one. Lady is. in the Water also made two hundred thirty-five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob and his mother were responsible for at least a tenth of that. Yep, absolutely. Um, oh, um, speaking no. of which, I'm so. This is a quick interjection. I I was actually very upset that I did not mention this. In our Jurassic Park 6, Jurassic World 3 episode, there's a scene where Bryce Dallas Howard gets in some water to hide from a dinosaur. Yeah. She's the lady in the water. <laughs> Man, talk about leaving that low-hanging fruit just still <sighs> sitting in place. I, I was so upset when I when I, I was – after that discussion, I was like, I thought of that joke during the movie, and I didn't remember to bring it up. God damn it. <laughs> oh, God. Next week, Rob. Next week. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but no, I, again, I, I think the problem – again, this movie objectively has no problems. The problem is that if you're a Jordan Peele and you let the culture decide your success, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Like he, he hasn't done anything to really – like it's weird how we think about – like after watching Nope and seeing how this film is performing, he's not going to be the next Christopher Nolan. I think Hollywood and Jordan Peele was trying to position himself in that way, yeah, yeah. especially after his like Twilight Zone thing of him trying to be pseudo Rod Serling, like Christopher think, Nolan of the horror genre. You know, like I don't, I wouldn't even say that. Okay, I wouldn't okay. even say that. I think he wants I, again. I think of in a different universe where Nope makes like signs money. Like let's say it makes three hundred million dollars. I could see him trying to like do his version and clearly it's a nod like Akira. I could see him trying to do his own version of Inception mm-hmm. or oh, something sure. that's very groundbreaking. Um I could see him doing that cuz he would have he would finally have that quasi dark knight success where it's like okay, yeah. I've proven my worth to the studio, to the shareholders, I can now firmly do whatever I want because this is uh, nope being the highest budget he's ever had and I think the issue is is that this is going to be his Jackie Brown. Oh, I okay. think no he's going to be the next Quentin Tarantino, not in a one to one sense, but I mean like in a career trajectory. Yeah. In that, like, he has his Reservoir Dogs, then there's the Pulp Fiction, then there's the, oh, this guy is still very clearly talented, but not every single film he makes is going to become a cultural tour de force. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's the thing. Is like, whereas M. Night, again, M. Night, it wasn't until after The Village that M. Night really kind of was punished by mass audiences. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the science thing being turned on its head being like, what would have happened to M night's career if audiences shunned that film? Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's nothing in Nope 
that is jarring to mass audiences. There, there's nothing in this that would be like, oh god, like no wonder why people are rejecting this. There, there's, there's nothing beyond the pale here. And that's what makes this so frustrating is that it's competently made, it's mentally stimulating, and pretty much throughout every minute of the film it's engaging. Mm-hmm. And yet the dummies that sit there just keep swiping their credit card to help the kids from Stranger Things or I should say like <laughs> middle-aged people from Stranger Things defeat current monster of the week just are rejecting this. I think they succeeded. And I think Stranger Things is over. I think it just ended. <laughs> it should be over. Like yeah, I don't right? know. They're not kids anymore. Like this is the same thing of like – it's like it, no, but the point is, is that I just don't get where we live in the world where Stranger Things. Like, I, I don't. I've never watched Stranger Things in my life. Like I said, Netflix is a trough. Like, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a billion times. Sure. The guy with the like, oh god, heavy metal hair with the Hellfire Club T-shirt, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like, I don't know what this is. Yet all I do is keep seeing post. People I follow on social media buying this T-shirt and wearing it, and I'm like, what is this? Like I've actually done research, and nothing can tell me what this character is, why they're popular, and why people feel the need to emulate it. Yep. And yet like you have Nope, which is competently made. It's engaging. It's an original story. It's everything that people claim to want, especially in a world where like people are finally like saying like – I like. Rob, I think you and I will both be happy to hear this in that I keep seeing posts where people are like, Marvel peaked in 2018. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank God yeah. mass audiences are finally acknowledging that the Marvel ship has sailed. But it's like this is everything people say they want and yet like this should be a signs-level success. This should very easily be a four-quadrant success, mm-hmm. um, yet it's not. Like, like there's really no reason why this film shouldn't be resonating because it checks all the boxes off except for a couple of moments here and there. And I guess my question is to you is what a I guess it's a two part question. One, what is the message of this film? What is it that Jordan Peele is trying to communicate to the audience at large? Mm-hmm. And B, depending on your answer to part A, why is that message so obtuse that the dummies that saw this opening weekend are intentionally poisoning the well. Okay, okay. Okay, that second part's interesting. But I'm so glad you asked me what I think the message of this movie is because I, I'm i glad it's not as overt as Get Out and uh, U.S. You know, I'm glad it's not so on the nose. And, and I do want to mention, you know, as, as we've alluded to, my take on us, which is I call U.S., is that it's about, you know, how the government has funded, you know, wars in other countries that have come back to bite us on our ass, and it's about secession and, and creating your own nations. I mean, the movie literally ends with the hands across America. They have seceded from from the nation type of thing. Um, get out. It, the message is clear. I think you can't really dispute. I have no crazy take on Get Out. My problem is that it's way too on the nose. That, you know, I liked Get Out a lot the first time I saw it. I understood it, you know, basically. At least I think I understood it. I understood it on the level that everybody else who saw it understood it. But then upon rewatching it, you have stuff where, like, when Daniel Kaluuya first gets to the girlfriend's house, he asks, like, oh, what's like what's behind this door and Bradley Whitford like quickly stops him from opening and says like oh that's the basement but it's sealed off because there's a lot of black mold and it's like really Jordan Peele 
like these white people are using black people as a mold to continue their life, so we're going to say it's black mold. I'm like, get fucking over yourself, you know? That, that movie's way too on the nose. This one I think is much more subtle, and I think we'll talk about, like you said, the subtlety and how it takes some time to think about it or, other peop- or many people to think about it. But I took this movie to be a reflection on how people are just thirsting, like dying, you know? It's like just crawling through the desert for one drop of water, but the water is content. The water is seeing something. The water is what can we see? What can we put into our eyeballs? What can we experience? And as soon as you've ingested one piece of content and shit it out, you're ready for the next one. And not even, you know... One by one, you're shoveling multiple pieces of content in your mouth. And it's how people are just dying for that. And I think not only are they dying for content at any cost, they're going to ignore that cost. So I I got to this realization because I think, and I was shocked to hear that you've been reading that, you know, people are saying, oh, the Gordy stuff is irrelevant. The Gordy stuff, the chimp attack stuff, is the the setup it's one of the most important things of the movie it's the idea that you know these people whoever created the sitcom they decided to try and tame the beast they tried to put this you know animal trained or not into a sitcom for views they did it because it's unique and it's like oh this is something new we can put an animal in front of the screen and people are going to love that but at what cost at the cost of it possibly freaking out because a balloon pops and it, you know, killing people on set and disfiguring them and things like that. But even that, the notion that, you know, Gordy killed people becomes content. It becomes legacy. And nobody cares that that legacy involved disfigurement and, and a harrowing, you know, moment in all these people li- people's lives. I love the fact that Steven Yoon's character, when he grows up, even though he lived through the Gordy attack, turns it into content turns it into this weird room that he sells to Swedish people to spend, you know, a night in for $50,000. Like, even he's banking off the content of this horrible thing. To get into the more, I think, blatant level of it, the plot of the movie is that the Haywoods see their chance to create unique content. They are like, we can make new content. We can be the people to actually have, you know, footage of a real alien. I, we're going to talk about the director character, what, Ansler Holmes or something like that? I, I don't remember his, uh, Michael oh, Wincott's good old, character. Good old Michael Wincott, yeah. that beautiful, beautiful voice. Oh, my God, yeah, he speaks in, in bass, basically. Um, but, like, his whole thing, of he, he basically gives up his life in search of, you know, the perfect footage the, of the content. And the the whole movie is just, like, that's it's all about how people are dying for this, but they don't care about the cost. You know, the people go to um, Stephen Yoon's uh, Alien show, and he's like, you're going to see spectacle. You are going to see something crazy, and it ends up killing them all. But it, it's all about that content and how everything is content and how people are striving for content. And they just want the next thing, and they don't care that damage might have been caused. They just want to make sure that they get more. And it's it's just, you know, amazing to me. Because that's that's the truth. That's what things are. I mean, you know, everybody loves, uh, like, what? TikTok's the biggest platform in the universe because everybody wants 15 seconds, they move on to the next one, and there you go. There's a reason that memes are just pictures. Because why fucking waste time reading when you can just quickly flip through pictures and boom, 20 seconds, you've just ingested 80 memes and you don't remember a fucking single one of them, but something in your brain, the dopamine's turning. What, what cost? 
what did it take to make those memes? Oh, these memes are about the Uvalde shooting and stuff like that. I don't care. It's content, you know? And I just love the fact that this whole movie was about everybody is striving for content. Everybody's trying to make content. Everybody's dying to put something into their brain, their eyeballs, whatever. But at what cost? It doesn't matter. I don't care what the cost is. So that's what I think this movie is about. And I'm sure we'll get into more examples. Does that change anything about your part B question? Um, no, because ultimately we'll never know why mass, it's like anything. Why do people like what they like and what they don't like? Um, it, it's just weird to think that horror is usually one of the easiest genre. That's the thing. This is not even really a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, a lot of people are arguing, like that's one thing I did see. It's like, oh, this isn't, people are mad because this isn't a horror movie. I'm like, it's a horror movie. It's a, it's. There's a lot of weird, macabre stuff in this. It's closer mm. to a horror movie than anything else. If you don't consider, uh, like, the chimp attack scene a horror scene, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. <laughs> well, that's, like I said, there's there's a lot to unpack in this movie. Um, but my take on the movie is, like I said, like, in preparation for this podcast, I, I like I said, I, don't, I didn't know what the point of the movie is. Like, obviously, you have that quote at the beginning, which is very much, um, I don't have it pull up in front of me, but it's like, it was the biblical verse. Yeah. Where it says, uh, you shall do your thing and the audience will throw filth upon you. Yes. I, um, I, I'm pretty sure that it is I will make you spectacle. Like the word spectacle yes. is used in that quote. And that, that's when I'm thinking back on it after I was you know mulling it over. I'm like, oh, that's exactly it. Like I will fill you with filth. I will damage you and you will be spectacle. And it's like, well, are you saying that that's bad for the person who's becoming the spectacle? Or are you saying that's good for the people who get to see it? Because spectacle is a positive word, at least in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. Like, I didn't know what this movie was about. Like, obviously, my initial take on it was this reminded me a lot of the first Jurassic World movie, and that oh, it feels okay. it feels like a movie that has deep, deep contempt for the machine that brought it into existence. Yes, yes. like it has strong condemnation for the entertainment industry. And as time went on, like obviously that's there in many ways, but the more I thought about it, and I, I'm not going to lie, I did obviously with my research, whether it be YouTube, podcast, mm-hmm. articles, and that I eventually drew the comparison to the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror ep- episode when all the like marquees and marketing come to life. Oh, and at the yeah. end of the episode, Lisa, and I forget who it is, he does commercial jingles and you think don't look up don't look up don't look up and depending on whoever's editing this we'll try to insert a clip of it here that's what it reminds me of like that is the like jordan peele made a movie about a treehouse of horror segment yeah that's i like that i like that comparison as well of the um of the uh, the the advertisements coming to life, of the uh, of the content coming to life, you know. It also makes me think of the um, French short film Logorama, where literally every like it's about like you know the Michelin tire man is a cop chasing Ronald McDonald, and everything in the in the short film and it's animated is a logo, and it's it's totally wildly interesting. But it's it's reflecting on that same idea of it's like this is everything to us, you know. You can't look away from it. Yeah. 
And that's why I eventually kind of put the pieces together with. Because I will say that last weekend, friend of both Cinematis and Knights of Vader, Chris Porteous, came to New York. Oh, nice. And as we were going somewhere, yeah, insert Star Wars toy nonsense here. <laughs> um, as we were in the pursuit of more Star Wars toy nonsense. Zach and we were Chris ta- built a Lego set together. It was, it was nice, nice to do. <laughs> hey, hey, we didn't build a Lego set. We went to a toy shop basement as we looked through Star Wars toys <laughs> for over an hour and a half. Um, get, get, get your uh, derogatory statements correct. Um, but no, because like, I was talking. <laughs> Talking to Chris about like what movies have you seen in theaters recently, and I'm like he's like he saw Nope, and he did he was very indifferent toward Nope. Okay, and I'm like, have you thought about it? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's a combination. Obviously, I brought up the Simpsons thing combined with the I the notion of the bad miracle because he's like, what was the whole point of the chimp thing? And I'm like, the whole point of the chimp thing is that Jupe misunderstands how he survived that incident back in the Gordy's TV show and that you have the idea of the shoe upright and that is the bad miracle Mm. that everybody kind of references throughout the film indirectly and that the bad miracle is what saves him but he misinterprets that as he as he is somebody like you said can tame the beast mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. he thinks he has some sort of divine power in that not that he had any sort of prowess in that he's able to harness these beings, these creatures. It's just that by averting the gaze, you're able to have some level of insulation from it. Yep. And and that's the whole point is that there isn't any sort of divine purpose because in my research for this, oh God, there are so many YouTube videos about the quote – Meaning and oh, yeah. quotes of the shoe upright that the the and, week two weeks after this came out all, everywhere on YouTube I saw you know fifteen things you didn't notice in Nope and it's like I didn't watch any of them but I'm assuming there's stuff like you know the shoe is standing up on its tip <laughs> and it's like I, did anybody not notice that <laughs> yeah it, it, and I think that's the thing and there's also the notion too of preserving because that's obviously what he has in his little shrine like in his office like mm-hmm. behind the bookcase is that he has the upright shoe preserved um which is kind of like a, a, a monument of a disaster a monument to a disaster yeah yeah um and that's the whole point is that like you can't be staring into the – again, oh god, what's the expression? You stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares yeah, into you. Yep. Is that you cannot be kind of ogling this sort of thing. You have to avert the gaze and that's why what? Quite early in the film, OJ figures out that's the saving grace to all this. Mm-hmm. But you also – it takes an insane amount of willpower to also – it's so simple Yet it's very difficult, if not impossible, to do it. Exactly, exactly. It's it's like almost as if, you know, we shouldn't look at the terrible things. We shouldn't treat them as content, you know? It, it, it Not so much like an out-of-sight, out-of-mind type of thing, but, you know, maybe some things don't want to be treated as content, don't want to be stared down. And, you know, I, I definitely think there's a layer to content in what I'm saying. When I use that word, in that content is more so than ever, things being filmed on your phone and things being filmed on your phone are, are you know, it's it's like a one party decision to, to film that thing. Maybe the other end doesn't want to be filmed, does not agree to that. But we somehow live in this society that, yeah, we live in a society uh, where Jordan Peele is, is commenting <laughs> on it, that it's like, 
you know, maybe, you know, we shouldn't do that. Maybe there, there's something wrong when we do just treat everything as like, well, if I have the ability to film, it's my right to film. And maybe, and, you know, wild notion here, maybe that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's very clearly evident that when we see OJ kind of pull out his flip phone, he tries to record something, mm -hmm. that this is, that, that our protagonist, the one that's able to shepherd everybody else kind of through the plot of the film, is the one that is kind of the most rudimentary about their place in the world. Yes. Oh, that yeah, very much that. is like taking a step back from it all. And that's why quite early in the film you have the whole different – the kind of the, the stark contrast between OJ and Kiki Palmer where he is so much more relaxed – not I won't say relaxed but just very business mm -hmm. to the point in where she is the one that's trying to be the showman. Yes, yes. It, it's it, it's it's very good dynamic between their two characters, um, but you're absolutely right. I I love that you know, he he, he knows how to treat well, at least uh, OJ in the sense with the animal stuff. You know, with the the whole horse thing at the commercial, of course. Um, the, the horse, you know, kicking somebody or breaking somebody in that when they get fired from the commercial, as a you know direct comparison to the Gordy thing. Like, of course, not as destructive as the Gordy thing, but still very bad. Trying to tame the beast, and you know. And that I love that whole opening scene where, you know, he's like, don't get close to the horse. Like, don't fuck with it too much. Like, it's an animal. Like, we have to treat it with respect. And everybody's just like, no, it's an actor. It's a tool that we can use. It's content for us. And if, to hear that people are like, well, the Gordy thing didn't make sense or it didn't mean anything. It's just like shock for the sake of shock. And it's like, are you out of your mind? Like, like I, I don't get it. it it's just, that's baffling to me. That but this is goes back to like the marketing though, mm, mm. and that like obviously some of the Gordy sequences are shown in the trailer. Okay, but I think to begin the movie like that, again the audience is expecting an alien movie. Yes, and anything that doesn't have to do with aliens, the audience already is going to sit there start holding this against you. Sure. Like I said again, I think point, the yeah. movie. I think the movie works. Um, but again, imagine if you're watching Signs. And Signs has an entire subplot about – oh, God. I'm trying to – again, some sort of just – oh, God, quasi-tragedy that's not tied to the to the immediate characters, mm -hmm. Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix, the two kids. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like imagine that entire subplot in Signs, but instead of Mel Gibson's wife, it's about some other kind of – oh, God, I don't want to say supernatural, but – um. Some freak of nature incident. Yeah, sure. Like that's the thing I could sit there see that being. Um, I get what Jordan Peele is doing. Like again, narratively, creatively, it it works. But again, I think, and this is where I think he doesn't work as a Noel as Nolan two point In that I think, or maybe he does because this this I think this film is more closely to Tenant than it probably is an Inception <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think he's giving the audience – I think he's assuming the audience is on the same page with him. I think he – much like the film itself, I think he's taking the audience for granted. I think the same way that Jordan Peele saying, oh, don't assume that these creatures that you have presumed for however long are under your control mm -hmm. aren't, I think Jordan Peele assumed the audience was with him. I could see that for sure. Um, I'm – I'm not exactly sure, but I, I could see that, and you know that also ties back. I think what you're saying is that you know, 
when the people don't feel that way, they become repulsed by this, or or they not become repulsed, but they repulse the idea of this movie and you know poo poo it away, like like we were saying. Yeah, um, I think there is that kind of indirect level to this too. Is that like for the same reason why that you can't harness Gordy, you cannot harness the alien to kind of do what you want when you want. Mm-hmm. I think that's an overall just thing of Hollywood and mass audiences. Absolutely. And that mass audiences are inherently a fickle beast and they will they will be love you and then they will hate you the next moment. So yeah. in a weird way, the performance of Note might be a self-fulfilling prophecy for George <laughs> Peel. Definitely, definitely cuz I I think that's the that's the other thing about it is where, you know, the the content that people get, they might not like and they might, you know, revolt against it. And revolt might be a strong word in the case of nope or something. Maybe they're revolting financially, but that could also very much happen, you know. But then there's a level of, well, they still are, you know, now if something, if content was bad, we can make content talking about how bad it was. And um, that's that's an interesting thing because I really like the fact that the goal of the Haywoods in the movie was to get footage, like film, of the alien. And at the end, they only get a still picture. And it's like, well, nobody's going to believe that. Nobody's going to like that content type of thing. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. I, I like that idea that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, Jordan Peele should come out and, and say something like, you know, hey, you all wanted another movie for me and you got it. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it, but you still ate it up. And you now you're just, you know, going to eat up all the bad things you have to say about it and the Internet's going to echo chamber about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, like I said, I... I I don't. It's weird to think. I don't know if Jordan Peele's announced what he's doing after this. I don't think so um, either. Not at least from what I've seen. But I haven't looked into no, it too much yet. Which is which goes to show that I think he thought this was going to be a meal ticket for him. Oh sure, sure. Oh well, we do know he's one of the writers and voices in the upcoming Henry Selick, Wendell and Wild. But I think well, that's yes. nearly if, done. If so. that ever gets, if that ever gets released, it has a release date for October this year. Let's see. Really? If that, yeah, on Netflix. We'll see if that happens though. <laughs> oh boy, fingers crossed. Um, no, like I said, I think, cause usually if somebody thinks a project they're working on is going to be a stinker, they usually sign deals before that gets released yes, to sure. kind of like guarantee their next project. The fact that he didn't do this leads me to believe that he thought this was going to be another slam dunk for him. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. Who? I, that's another interesting thing. I wonder if, um, you know, how, how, I know we've talked about it in the Candyman episode probably, but how much up his own ass he is in terms of his place in the movie industry um, and as a name that draws people in and that, you know, he can, like you said, meal ticket. I don't, I really don't know. I haven't really seen a lot of, I don't really know what he's like these days. I don't really watch interviews with him. I just know that uh, his like on screen stuff. So who knows? Well, like I said, I, a lot of it is from what I saw that like when he was like, again, one of these kind of puff interviews, mm. they were asking him like, Oh, like why, like why do you want to make this movie? He's like, Oh, I wanted to make a film where like, like where people like, react to the film in real time in the theater and that's where the title nope comes from that he wants people to yell nope like obviously like david kaluuya does yes in that moment where obviously he like like leans outside the truck and he looks up and he sees the ship there and he gets back and he goes nope <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's meant to be again it's it's comedic relief it's like lessening the tension a little bit um and that's what he was going for something a little more pulpy in that regard and i like i said i i don't know what the problem is that like he does have his head up his ass, but 
he made a competent, well-rounded film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is something I can't say for Get Out in in U.S. Us. <laughs> and I always sure. have to, ever since Rob ever since Rob introduced that into the Cinemati's lexicon, <laughs> we will never ever be able to call it just one name or the other. Um, that's the thing, though. Is like that's what makes you so frustrated about this. Is like you rewarded him for Get Out, you rewarded him for Us U.S. Now he made a genuinely good film that's not beating you over the head with a social message and mass audiences rejecting. And it's like, no, like this is like, again, you're going to send him the wrong message that he's going to have to make another preachy film in order to get the public back on his side. Yeah. And I don't think that's what people wanted. I think people wanted a very straightforward horror film. And that's probably the thing that, nope in us us have in common and that they are not as straightforward as get out exactly and that yeah and that's the thing is that like get out at least is very easily marketable us us i to this day i really don't know what it is that he's trying to convey to the audience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think that message is more muddled than nope's is yeah i'm i'm with you there muddled is definitely a good word because you know I think it's very clear that it's about, you know, causing problems. The whole U.S. thing, I think that's that's a, a little unknown, but more generally about the, um, you know, unforeseen consequences or at least the ig- ignorance of consequences of what you do in the here and now. Um, and, and when I hear people say, no, it's about classism and the have and the have-nots, and I'm like, that's muddled too because the whole thing, spoilers if you haven't seen U.S., is that, you know, the two Lupita Nyong'os switch, and, you know, so the one in that we think is the main character was really the tether the whole time, and that muddles the whole concept of the haves and the have-nots. Um, so I don't fully understand when, when people, you know, say that that's what it's about. Um, I'm actually glad you bring it up, though, because now I think I'm understanding you better talking about the Nolan comparison because you are absolutely right that I think Get Out is structured in such a way that it is Nolan-esque, that Nolan, what Nolan did with things like Memento and Inception and the success of those movies is that he he pulled a trick on the audience. He made a movie that seems complex, but is very basic to understand. But since it seems complex, when people understand it, they think they're intelligent. Where Tenet is just so fucking convoluted that people are like, I didn't get it, you know? It's like, I, he's making me feel stupid again. And I think there is a comparison there. Like you said, this is, uh, Nope is closer in, in regards to Tenet in, in you know, its, its complexity or convolution, you know? But Get mm-hmm. Out was the same way. I think Get Out was, he crafted a movie that had a message that is so fucking on the nose and basic and right in your face that if you don't get it, you didn't see the movie. But when people do understand it, they go, I got it. I feel smart for that. It's Ben and I did the Memento episode. We talked a lot about this, that Memento is like when people figured out Memento, in air quotes, figured out like the nonlinearity and the, the you know, reversal and caving in the, the movie, you know, collapsing or telescoping in on itself. They were like, I'm smart because I understood Memento. And it's like the pe- same people being like, you know, I I've figured out calculus. I'm smart. And it's like calculus is like the basic level shit, you know? But it's played as making you think you're smart. And then when he makes a movie that you have to think about and isn't immediately like audience is like, I got it. I feel smart. Once again, they revolt. I, I'm understanding more the Nolan connection you're making now, and I like it. But I think, but again, going back to even Nolan, and that like 
th- there are very few brand name filmmakers that have staying power to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, Nolan's one, Tarantino's another. Yep. Yep. Um, it's kind of like movie stars. You can kind of count them on one hand now. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you got to give Jordan Peele credit where his credit is due. He did make an original film with his name being the brand, not the film that was able to kind of carry it across the finish line, so to speak. But also, too, like, not, again, because we never really talked about a lot of Nolan's films and in, in outside of Tenant and obviously you and Ben with Memento. But, like, we're 12 years now removed from Inception, mm-hmm. and nobody really talks about that film anymore. No, like, when was no. the last time Inception really had a pertinent place in the culture? And it doesn't. <laughs> like, no, like when was the last time people said, you know what I watched the other day? Inception. The only, the only, I think we've said this many times before, but the lasting legacy of Inception is boom. And now it's reached a point that I feel that sound is still used, probably on TikTok for content, and nobody remembers that yeah. it's that it's from yep. Inception. Well, they think it's think, it's just the boom noise. Keep keep it this way, Rob, and we're going to really kind of date ourselves here. But like, there are probably eight year olds making TikToks using that sound that were not born for that film's release. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And, and that's the thing. In that, like, we also look of Nolan as his own brand, but like. Tenant again. Tenant was a very botched release just because mm. Nolan kind of like held the gun to Warner Brothers' heads. Um, yes. but like, but like <laughs> it has to be have... released on these days, make this amount of money, and cause this many outbreaks of COVID. Those are exactly. my demands. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you gotta get, like I said, t- Tenant will all. Like, it's weird to think of that though, but Tenant will always hold a place in film history as the first film post COVID. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, it will always have. Again, well, people will not talk about that movie for its content. It will just. It'll always be a footnote for that reason <laughs> yeah um but you have that and what was it before tenant what was it it wasn't interstellar it was um oh god dunkirk right yeah uh, yes yeah that was between interstellar and and I, tenant yeah that's the thing i think if you look at nolan's films throughout the 2010s including inception it's gonna be dunkirk the one that's gonna be talked about like that's the film he'll be remembered for, and that's the thing about Jordan Peele is that even though I think Jordan Peele's career box office wise will trend more along Tarantino because Tarantino's never really had any huge successes outside of uh, um, Django Unchained, another social message uh, social message yes. film. Yeah, that's a good point. And another and- forgotten movie. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. That film show because of Jamie Foxx. That film does show up on occasion. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, I will say though that again, like think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nobody, oh, yep. even though Rob and I to this day will always scream at each other. If you want to go smoke some top pot, <laughs> fuck your, uh, oh, fix, God, your fix your muffler. fucking muffler. Goddamn um, hippies. But, like, <laughs> but again, think about that. DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt won a goddamn Oscar for that movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and Margot Robbie, who the internet cannot get enough of. Came out what three years ago and nobody remembers that film. Yeah, that is yeah. the definition of just disappeared. And we still talk about Pulp Fiction, and that and that's kind of it for Tarantino. Like, even though I love Death Proof, nobody talks about Death Proof. Like, Kill. I would say Kill Bill is probably more in the lexicon than I would than probably most Tarantino films. Definitely. Yeah. Even even like you know even Inglorious Bastards isn't really there. Nope, nobody you know? talks about yeah. Glorious Bastards anymore, um, which is a shame because, again, God, 2009, that, that that film had a chance if it weren't for the Hurt Locker versus Avatar. Oh, probably yeah. would have won probably Best Picture and Best Director. Um, but that's the thing even, again, going back to Jordan Peele and his career trajectory, I think his box office 
will probably follow the trajectory of a Quentin Tarantino career. Mm -hmm. But I think as for concept and tone of his films, I think it will follow the Nolan model. Okay. In that I think Jordan Peele, in order to salvage, I don't want to say salvage, rebound from this, I think will sign up for a blockbuster franchise. Um, I do think, cause again, in this, there's clearly the Akira homage when we see Kiki Palmer on the electric motorcycle. Oh, we're going to, we, we're, see... we, I have a whole other take on the third act of this movie that we have to get to, <laughs> but I think I would say, give it until spring of next year. Jordan Peele's going to be tied to a franchise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's going to be Marvel obviously. Cause he's very much happy at universal. Sure. Um, I, I do see him being part of the machine he's gonna have to like he's gonna find his own batman much like nolan after memento and insomnia went into the batman thing as a way to prop up the career so he could do things like the prestige inception interstellar um i do think jordan peele is gonna realize much like michael wincott it's gonna be one for us one for me (laughs) i I think i think that will probably be the thing he takes away from this if it was not already announced i would totally be saying like oh he would pick up something like a blade you know like something that is dipping its toes into the horror genre but is clearly part of a franchise not exactly blade because that's marvel of course you know but something along those lines maybe a spawn you know something like that I could see them going to him and being like, we think about Universal has the monsters, Mm. Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein, Invisible Man. I could see them going to him being like, here are the keys to this. Make us, I don't think a cinematic universe, um, but we want, like, here you go. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, Creature from the Black could, Lagoon, Lagoon is in there, right? Yep. He would, yep, he that's would part of the, bring that up and make it, you know, something unique and, and you know, people would be like, okay, I guess I'll see that. <laughs> it would be tied to some sort of climate change, global warming thing where it yes, would be like – like I could – like I said, I think he's going to be forced to go to the IP well. He, mm-hmm. he has to be. He's, he, I think Nope – like from what I've been reading is that Nope will probably best case scenario break even at the box office because it's having very be- – Universalists have a very peculiar way of releasing this overseas. Um, okay. I guess when it got released in mid-July in the US and it took like – it's. I don't think it's getting released overseas until like now, like, like halfway through August. Um this is gonna be a film if it's lucky if it breaks even box office wise. It'll sure. make money on streaming wherever, but it's that notion of this is not gonna be the the get out us level of box office yeah. returns. Especially this film, I think, cost around seventy million dollars to make. Okay. Um. So again, he's gonna be forced to go to the IP well, especially after how the Twilight Zone fizzled out on him, and how he really he's written the get out blank check to the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. That's another thing I'm, I'm surprised we haven't even mentioned, you know, as, as we're almost uh, a little over an hour in that the, the the Twilight Zone stuff, you know, how, you know, that clear, like you say, fizzled out. I think that imploded, basically. Um, but but yeah, that that whole thing of, you know, him trying this stuff and, and you're right. That's the, the closest thing he has done to a franchise. Well, it, it's not close. It is is the Twilight Zone. And he needs something more recognizable and mainstream that people are are ready for type of thing 
Or maybe yeah. not he needs, but he's going to be forced into, like you said. He, that's the thing. I think he's going to realize that no one's going to write him a check for $70 million again for an original idea. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think – and the problem too is that if if he is again able to convince someone to do that, if it doesn't work again, then his name's ruined forever. Yep, yep. That's the thing. He, he He's going to do some soul searching after that. Absolutely. I, inter- I'm interested in this now to, to play this out. Do you think I, – I like the idea of franchise – do you think there would be in some these kind of go hand in hand? But do you think he would quite possibly remake something? Like I'm thinking of, you know, as I mentioned, Blade. This popped into my head. I don't think this is a good example of a movie that would get remade. But like John Carpenter's Vampires, <laughs> you know, like I said, that's a bad example. But you know what I mean? Like him getting remaking something. But hasn't he done that tangentially with Candyman, and that didn't work either? Yes, that's a good point. The Candyman. He's already tried that. That yep. didn't work, and he had the ultimate social message movie to do it yeah. <laughs> as a vehicle, and and he botched that as well. Um, that's the thing. I think his again, he made a very good original horror film. It, it it's just for the same reason why the alien swallowed Jupe killed most of the co-stars of Gordy's whatever mm-hmm. the hell. And I, I think he played with fire and he got burned. Yeah, yeah. And now he's got to have to sit there, figure out, again, much like how Jupe is forced to kind of have his own little kind of middle of nowhere sideshow attraction. He's going to have to figure that out. Definitely. Yeah. I, There's something I think that adds to the self-fulfilling prophecy you're talking about. I like that. <laughs> I think so. Like I said, I think Jordan Peele is very intelligent. He just... It's I, oh god, you probably remember this, Rob, from like the Inception press tour with Christopher Nolan, where people are asking Nolan, they're like, oh, like don't you think this film's a little too highbrow for audiences? And Nolan's like, no, I think uh, mass audiences are kind of uh, underestimated in their intellect. And it's like, no, Nolan, <laughs> y- you are saying that. So that's that's a clip they play on Entertainment Tonight. Exactly. Um, that I, adds I, to what I was saying. That creates the mystique that this you know this movie is is for people. Like, oh, Christopher Nolan believes in the audience, but well, the critics are saying, oh. Man, Man, it might be too smart for us, but then when we get it, yeah, Christopher Nolan was on our side. He knows we're smart. Yes, and it's like, yeah, of course he, of course he's not going to make a movie that confuses the hell out of you un- until he wants you to get COVID with it as well, and and everything's going backwards and forwards, and it makes no <laughs> sense, you know. Oh god, we can only hope uh, Jordan Peele gets to a t- his tenant level. We can only hope every <laughs> filmmaker gets to their tenant level. Right. <laughs> um, like I said, I have to ask for your uh, showings of Nope. Did you get the Oppenheimer trailer? Yes, I almost forgot about that. I got the Oppenheimer trailer in. Even so, the um the the lights went so. Like the lights don't go fully down during the trailers because I think so many people are still funneling in. So like when we were seeing trailers for other bullshit, you know, whatever was going on, like the lights weren't really like at movie level. I don't. That's just what they do out here in Fort Collins at all these. I've been to all three theaters in the in in Fort Collins, and they always do that where like the lights are almost still on during the trailers, but when the movie starts, they go down. The lights went down for the Oppenheimer trailer. And it was a big deal. Like they, they were like everybody was like, "Oh my god, is the movie starting?" And they were all sucked into the Oppenheimer trailer, which had the countdown to the release date or yep, some stupid yep, yep. up his ass. It's shit. Like, like over over a year, like from release, it's yeah, like yeah. in eleven months, twenty nine days, seven hours and forty two seconds. And I'm like, Christopher Nolan, you're making a movie, a historical movie about, you know, the atomic bomb. Can you please just shut up about time for once? We don't need more time motifs in your stupid fucking movies. Get over it. 
I didn't even think about that. But like he shoved again, it in. <laughs> I will never. Like I said, like it's it's kind of again. Nolan is in such a weird place in his career where like he has been like on a downslope for the most part. Um, ever since the Batman movies, mm-hmm. yeah, he's still kind of coasting off like, oh, I cast Heath Ledger as the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though at this point too, that like people don't even I, again. There's a whole generation of Batman fans who have no idea that Heath Ledger's Joker again. As anybody who lived in 2008 that summer, Heath Ledger's Joker was literally inescapable. And now, like, people are like, Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker. (laughs) Like, that's where we are. Like, it's so weird to think about that, that, what, a decade later that, like, we've completely washed uh, Heath Ledger out of our mouth. Never mind, what, nearly 20 years earlier, it was Jack Nicholson? Like, it's so weird that, like, as a culture, like, we get so, like, just obsessed with that specific character become enamored with one particular actor's portrayal of that character then immediately forget them a decade later yeah, yeah. like it's like it, it's again again everything is cyclical movies suck and that's um, the way content works zach that's the yeah. way it works oh god Fuck, we, we can only hope that society <laughs> <laughs> but i did say that you notice i did not mention jared leto in any of that no because nobody he's still just jared leto to everybody more He's Morbius. He's uh, not to Joker. me. He is a a pigeon that needs to soar, soar like a pigeon. <laughs> <sighs> That's my Jared Leto. <sighs> That's my Jared Leto right there. <laughs> oh, beautiful! Absolutely beautiful. Oh God, where were we with Note? Where were we with Note? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, tell me what you think of the third act. Okay, yeah, the third the third act is is when I really fell in love with this movie not not that i didn't i really i i, I kind of loved it but when it really kicked into high gear for me because the the third act and you mentioned it before we mentioned it a lot talking about jordan peele i think we also mentioned a lot not only on the Candyman episode but years ago when we discussed akira talking about the live action and how you know jordan peele his name has always been hovering around a live action akira i loved because this is the way I took it, and I'm seeing some comparisons to this. I think if you know the reference I'm about to make, it's a, it's one that you cannot miss. I think it's something, unfortunately, Zach, you are not related to, but let me explain. I loved that the third act of this movie, and when I say third act, I mean the entirety of the um, the Haywoods going for the the footage of of the alien, of the actual, like, trying to corral the alien to get footage of it when they set up all the wacky inflatable arm stuff and, and you know, they have this whole plan. That's the third act to me. And I didn't expect it, but Jordan Peele somehow fucking got his way to make his live-action anime adaptation. I know you mentioned the Akira slide, which looks so fucking goofy in this movie, but Jordan Peele finally got to shoot his Akira slide. But for anybody that knows the reference, the alien is an angel from Neon Genesis Evangelion. So Neon Genesis Evangelion is one of the classic animes. It's like if you have people who love anime and they're recommending anime to you, it's like, you know, Dragon Ball Z, Cowboy Bebop, Death Note, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and there's probably others that are really famous. But the whole concept of Neon Genesis Evangelion is that these giant alien creatures that are called angels come to earth and you know they're just super destructive and the the people of earth have to build giant robots to fight them that that's it's it is what it is i mean if you've seen neon genesis evangelion which i'm assuming you have not zach uh, that it is spoiler alert zach did not (laughs) i figured but it is identical not identical to any of the creatures in neon genesis evangelion but 
it is the exact idea. This giant creature that just causes destruction and, you know, eats people. Some of them eat people, some of them don't in the in the anime. And it's all about how people have to deal with it. And that's what the third act of this movie becomes. It becomes corralling an angel from Neon Genesis Evangelion. And, and note the naming that we have a character in this movie called Angel as well. I... And it goes through... The alien goes through different forms. It goes from looking... Um, like, you know, if you ever have earbuds, you know how some people, like I do, put, like, earbud covers, like, you know, to make them stay in your ears better? When you don't have one of those on an earbud, it looks exactly like the flat disc, you know, the not really flat disc that the, the alien in this movie looks like. But Jordan Peele basically was like, well, you know, I'm making my own live-action anime. I'm taking inspiration from Akira. I'm taking it from Neon Genesis Evangelion about how people have to deal with these creatures, and I'm just going to do it. Because the third act of the movie is all trying to corral this creature, this monster, this this beast. And... This was clicking for me in the theater. I already kind of knew that the the monster looked like an angel from, you know, Evangelion. But when it starts to change forms and we're seeing it, you know, like actually recognize or, you know, um, uh, notice the people and how they're they're dealing with things. I'm just like, this is this is it. He, he actually has made his live action anime adaptation. Got it in the third act of this weird fucking content, you know, unique content creation movie. And I fell in love with it, Zach. <laughs> well, I guess, like I said, talking about the actual movie itself and not uh, the, oh God, socio-cultural sure. <laughs> impact of Jordan Peele's career to all this. The alien, like I said, like it's it, a lot of movies, like again, reminds me of signs that we will be delving into. And I, you think about like, obviously when like you introduce the notion of a, Oh God, I don't want to say – what would you want to call it? Not supernatural character but just something not of this earthly mm-hmm. realm. Mm-hmm. There is some level of – you have to pay that off. Is uh, The antithesis to that for me is the Babadook. The Babadook okay. being a haunted house movie more or less and it's just a bunch of confused British people screaming for two hours. <laughs> and you get like maybe like a fraction of a second of any sort of like creature or some sort of ghoul. The thing about this movie is that obviously it's not just – the thing that I think is makes the payoff so much more interesting is that it's not just simply a flying saucer yeah. that's going around. Is that there is that thing of it's its own entity and that you do – like especially at the end of the film for probably what? The last 20 minutes where it's like even though Rob had a very specific thing as to what it was, I kept referring to it as through both of my showings as a uh, giant kite. Or tent. Okay. Um, that's how I yeah, kept sure. describing it. There is that level of you're seeing something you haven't seen before. Definitely. So even though obviously it, it's not as oh god uh, entity like 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 signs where you have like the alien in that moment yeah, in the, the film where you have thing yeah, yeah yeah where you have obviously some sort of very off putting yet still human like creature. This is something truly of another world. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's where, again, I'm still, again, it goes back to just being disappointed with the way the dummies do not respond, have not responded to this, and that you do get a payoff. It's not like the entire time it's just a flying saucer flying around. For that last 15, 20 minutes, you, you do get an extraterrestrial being in a way that you've never seen before in blockbuster cinema. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I find very, very cool, you know? 
because I've, I've seen the, the comparison to Neon Genesis Evangelion otherwhere, elsewhere on the internet, because it, it is so on the nose. But, you know, even if you do know that, it's it's still like, you can't say it's like, oh, this is the alien I expected. The, the, if you come out of the movie saying that, it's like, okay, you're you're lying, you know? It's like, what, what basis do you have to think that way? <laughs> That's the thing. But I do think that if you are expecting such a... I can't even think of the last really what was the last popular alien horror movie? Mm. Like I mm, I can't yeah. think of one. What the fourth kind with Mila Jovovich? <laughs> like like I I can't think of the last time like an alien horror movie really got people hot and bothered. Um yeah, I mean the ones that I, I know that were advertised that I never saw like were straight to Netflix. Like wasn't like Life with Jake Gyllenhaal was like an alien like alien the movie oh type of ripoff. That wasn't that wasn't direct to Netflix. I actually kind of like that movie. Oh, that wasn't direct. Um, I might be thinking of another no, one that was direct to Netflix. No, I no, that's what also Ryan Reynolds, I think. I maybe. Think. Um, maybe. Oh, I might be thinking of was uh, I know there was also the Cloverfield paradox or wasn't there a cloverfield well, yeah, movie that yes, had aliens yes, or something yes. like that yeah <laughs> but that doesn't that 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 barely yeah. counts that was again that was like you said that's a netflix special yeah, right there exactly it wasn't designed for netflix but they dumped it on netflix that's the thing though and that i i i don't know how you effectively pay that off because i don't think there is a quintessential alien design that people will get on board with Absolutely. Even in yeah. signs, like I don't think anybody was thrilled with the design of the alien at the end. Like he's really cool, kind of like in blurry VHS, like found footage mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. vision. But I think at the end of that film, when he has what uh, was it, Rory Culkin, like by the neck? I think so, yeah. Whatever Culkin it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> One of the I, Culkins, definitely not Macaulay. <laughs> definitely not Macaulay. Um, I. I don't know. I don't think there, I, I, we're at an again. It's a weird place also in the culture where I don't. I, I think it's that stupid, stupid Hitchcock principle that Steven Spielberg is always running around with. It's like, oh, the scariest monster is the one you don't see. Mm. No, the scariest monster is the one that's designed well by a creative individual. Yes. Yeah. Um. I, I I get it. The power of imagination is great, but the reason why like Janet Leigh in the psycho sequence of the shower works so well is because it's eventually paid off with what's his name, Anthony Perkins, yeah. running in in a dress and a wig. Yes. Like that's yeah. why that scene works so well because has a fantastic pay off if if that movie just ends with obviously norman bates like in a padded cell without the dress and the wig it it, it doesn't pay off as well sure um sure. it doesn't click um that's that's the thing too like i i really don't again the more you start kind of dissecting this film I don't know if there's anything you could have done to improve it. I think without fundamentally altering the film, you cannot create a a better mass audience film than what you currently have. I'm I'm with you definitely. I don't I don't have any improvements. You know, I mean, I, I like you like I said, I thought it was stellar. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that. But again, it's just disappointing that the dummies for some reason. I don't even think people. I don't even see people hating this movie. It's more just passive rejection. Yeah, exactly. I I, I haven't seen any hate either. Just in the sense of, um, you know, from the internet that we've been talking about. Also, in in the group of people I went with, which was ended up being fairly large because I invited only like two people, and then they invited people, and they invited other people, and there were people there I don't even know, you know, that were in this group. And I I definitely got the sense that a lot of them were like, you know, they had no notion of what the movie was about you know and and i think that when people like us 
which are not we're not in the minority i don't think people like there are people out there who watch a movie and be like you know i don't really get it but maybe i should think about it there's there's more there's as well people that are saying something like well i didn't get it so it means nothing and it was just another alien movie like i was saying yeah that uh, again that's the very strange thing about this is that it's it, it's the worst type of uh ignoring it's yes. just passive it, yeah. it, it's it's apathy yeah you're because like what I think that goes to what we were saying, you know, tying our theater going experiences with the reaction to this movie, you know, both, you know, financial and, and the feeling on it. Like I was saying, and I think, I think you said as well for the, your IMAX viewing, there there was no derision towards this movie. There was no snickering. It was all enthralling. Like I said, the, the chimp attack scene, the, uh, the jupes kids scene dressed as little aliens. There was there, it was like the, the, you could feel that everybody in these theaters had no thought of the outside world. They were completely engrossed in this movie. They were completely enthralled in these harrowing scenes. But then they come out of it, and it's just like, okay, whatever. And it's I, I think that adds to that notion of, you know, it, it's not that they hate it, it's that they were engaged, but then it's only engaging in the moment, maybe, for a lot of these people. And after it's out of their heads, they realize there's an outside world. They're kind of done with it. They kind of discard it like it's content. To take it back to that. <laughs> yeah, it would have to be that. But the fact that nobody would want to revisit this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, again, this goes back to the whole notion, too, of when you have, like, when you see something that's visceral and thrilling, you want to go back and experience it with other people. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and and that's why, again, why horror movies do so well on repeat viewings, ones that are genuinely liked. You want to share that experience, even if it's not a horror movie, with others. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the other – the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to movies being Top Gun Maverick this year. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it's just like – as somebody who saw that opening weekend, like – it's cute. Like I'm happy for Tom Cruise that he finally kind of like made a sensational film of, of the modern era. Um, what one was a lot again, the last highest grossing Tom Cruise film I think was like mission impossible ghost protocol. And okay. that was like 11 years ago. So it's again, it's always nice to see somebody that once was at the top of their game. Again, it's the, Oh God, uh, what unforgiven thing of just like, Oh man, like somebody's back in the saddle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time though, it's like, there's nothing top gun maverick doesn't even have a villain like i'm not even <laughs> sure if rob is like obviously rob has rob have you seen that movie no or no i just written? have what you told me about it last time whenever you told me about it yeah there, there's no villain like okay. there's an enemy country that they're trying to blow up like their missile silos but the country <laughs> and it's called game. unnamistan <laughs> pretty much like it's, it's the equivalent of unobtainium but okay. like in country yeah. form um like it's it's in a snowy locale so one would have to assume that it's russia or china sure but it's never alluded to like you see enemy like fighter planes but there's never any insignia it's just tom cruise good guy uh. everybody else bad guy and i I don't get why this movie is making that much money. Like, whereas, again, we've talked about it a lot, like Titanic, Avatar, Star Wars, you get why these movies resonate with people. Sure. Top Gun Maverick is just like, good guys fly plane. They do thing that was supposed to be impossible. (laughs) 
now they must escape enemy lines. You call it Highway to yeah. the Danger Zone. But I will say there is also a Lady Gaga song at the end. Um, okay. It's, it's pretty egregious. Was Is it original um, for the movie? Or... Yes. Oh, okay, yes. okay. I didn't hear about that. Did you read – you must have read the story, Rob, you being the music aficionado that you are, that like to, uh, Tom Cruise I think threw – was it uh, – was it was it Twenty One Pilots like off the production or something? I did. I didn't read the full story, but I did hear about that. Yeah. Okay. And, um, That's great. I and, love that. And I I didn't look into it because you know Twenty One Pilots makes music for high school girls, and that they they know that and uh, they accept it, and I understand that you wouldn't want that for Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> but it, it it's the idea that just it's I don't get I, I get why it's successful. I just don't get why it's that successful. I'm with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Like if if you're somebody who likes kind of just oh look, look like the simple like there's nothing convoluted about nope. I don't like th- I I could see how some of the Gordy's stuff could be seen as convoluted, but I don't see it as just as convoluted as us US is. Uh, absolutely. I mean I'm and we're not talking about like the theme or the message, we're talking about the actual presentation of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing's it's a, it's very straightforward. I mean, even if you're like, I don't understand like what the Gordy stuff had to do with the movie. It's like, well, yeah, that's about the themes. No one's coming out of there and they're going like, so did the chimp attack happen twice? Is there time travel? Nobody's saying that, you know, about this movie. It's very straightforward. And and that's where I I, I don't get why this hasn't resonated either because yeah. even you have like you also have some fantastic just again going to just how jordan peele just lays out certain scenes like the whole third act climax where obviously they set up all the inflatables in the valley and it's done as a visual representation uh eh, visual representation of tracking the movements of the alien yes. and it's like that's such a cool visual moment um even a couple days ago like rachel sent me a picture of like one of those like flailing like inflatable characters mm-hmm. and my response was nope yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's something that should become ubiquitous and associated with those when you see it and there's not a single moment in top gun maverick is even half as clever as that sure I, I would i haven't seen it like i said but i would definitely not bet that there's anything that clever you know <laughs> that's the thing like it's it's so peculiar because you it, it's such a well-made movie well crafted everything kind of unfolds the way it does it even has that third act moment where you have uh, uh the damsel in distress mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you have the whole, and oj like oj even though he's obviously very mild-mannered and timid he becomes the hero at the end um, he's the one that's sitting there riding the valley back and forth doing his thing. Yeah. And and in well, he's wearing the Scorpion King yes, uh, hoodie. Yes, I like that. Be- yeah. Beautiful, beautiful reference right there. Yep. They could have chosen <laughs> any other Universal film from the early 2000s, yet they picked the Scorpion King. <laughs> um, because they eventually decided to go with camels. Again, so much visual storytelling in this. Everything that we always claim to want from movies. And yet, again, we have – and I get it. Obviously, Tom Cruise is a celebrity for 40 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like it's it's a wholly original idea with a diverse cast and real world – oh, God, uh, in-camera effects. Not with the alien, of course, but just with all these other elements. And yet 
I, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get why this movie – forget about it becoming a science-level success. I just don't get why it didn't become – a U.S. us success. Sure, uh, I'm with you there, and I, I I do think there is some to that end. There is some connection, or maybe in in the relation to this movie and Top Gun Maverick, I think there is some relation to what we were saying about the audience is not getting what they think they were promised. Nobody's going into Top Gun Maverick thinking like, oh, I'm gonna get a, a social message from this movie. They 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 know they're gonna get a dumb action movie where. Planes go vroom, you know, that's a, or, or whatever noise planes make, you know. I, I think everybody wanted this movie, and they're like, I need to hear what Jordan Peele's saying about something in the real world. You know, COVID or Ukraine situation, or, you know, maybe those are too recent thing, too recent, you know, to be in this movie. But then when they didn't get that exactly, they, they like we said, we revolted. So it kind of comes back to that in some, maybe not full circle, but, you know, we're looping back to some point in the timeline. <laughs> Yeah, but I, but again, going back to other moments from this that are just okay. I, here's okay. I got. I have a different question for you. Okay, if I were to tell you that there is no merchandise, mm, okay, what would you th- if you could merchandise something from this film? What would you think it would be? That's a good question. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, like a like a little. Like a little like a house with a bunch of blood all over it. Like I'm thinking of that imagery, maybe. <laughs> like a snow globe. Like a snow globe. Yeah. Rob. Okay. Yeah. Like a snow globe, but it's like it's like blood. I'm also thinking oh, the shoes too. You can't, you know, maybe maybe the shoe on a little stand, but that's so niche. I would think. I I really don't know. Okay. Horses, this horse one... action figures. <laughs> it's just a regular, just like a horse toy. They just <laughs> yeah, slap no on. It's just a line, of, like a production line of of the the horses in the movie. <laughs> a right. horse in a glass box at like at the jupe the oh, jupe that, ranch thing. Yeah. That would that would be fun. They're not clever enough for that. <laughs> um, okay, these this piece of merchandise was unveiled before the movie came out. Oh, so this okay. tells you again. This has nothing to do with Jordan Peele. This has to do with the studio, mm-hmm. but where they thought people would be looking. There are costumes and plushes oh, of Jupe's kids alien costumes. That, that makes that actually makes perfect sense. Okay, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. That so you have little little tiny. Like owl, I thought they looked kind of like owls, like owl-looking alien things. That they have sense. like skull heads, like almost like uh, the candy skull heads, almost. Sure, like, sure, yeah. It was like furry bodies. Yes. Okay, I that makes that makes perfect sense. I remember seeing, um, it, it's in the movie, it's in the trailer, one of the the second trailer it has to be, um, where at Jupe's ranch when he's doing the um the alien show, there is like a, a little merchandise table that has those plushes on it, and so that makes. Perfect sense. But in what universe does somebody watch this movie or look at like production stills or concept art or whatever and that's their takeaway? Oh, yeah, not at all. As to what – this is what people are going to latch on to. That has no – no point in the movie, you know, uh, like literally it's, it's more content creation because there are no little aliens inside this ship as much as, you know, uh, Steve Yoon's character might think. As much as you know, you might believe in the in the usual you know alien movie trope is that oh this is a ship with little creatures in it. That's just a, a creation of Jupe's you know ranch. That this is what we think the aliens look like when they don't realize that the thing itself is an alien. 
So yeah, I don't, I, I don't. It's, it's like, it's almost like it's once again the the merchandise is just as misleading as the marketing. <laughs> but I think again, it comes down to just misunder. I think even by the part of the studio, whether it be the marketing or the yeah, merchandising, yeah. fundamental misunderstanding of what this is about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which again, I, has Jordan Peele talked about what it is that beyond the uh, the opening quote of the film, what this is about? Has he has he discussed yet? Any of that? Not or... that I've seen, but I also haven't really been trying to look into it, type of thing. Yeah, like uh, it's that's another thing too. Like I, it's funny because even like after watching this, I was curious as to what like what sort of merchandise there was for this, and they're real outside of like actual movie posters. There isn't much that they try to merchandise off this film. Oh, okay. What about what about this? I got an idea for merchandise. The, oh God. This might. Well, this week should probably also. Well, uh, it's a little early, but you know, we'll put this in the Cinemodities gift shop as well. Um, so it's like it's like a little like rectangle base, you know. So it's like a three D model, but it's kind of like a toy type of thing, and it's it's like one of those wind up type. Of, you know, those cars where it's like you you pull hold it down, pull back, and then you let it go, and it you know rooms off of that course, type of thing. Of course, of course. Um, it's on a base, so it's not like this can roam free or something. God, I'm I'm envisioning like a cheap Happy Meal toy, but of course it would it would look a lot better. But the idea is, it's the TMZ guy on his motorcycle, and and you know you can pull it back and lock it in place so that it's like him on the motorcycle, and then there's a little button on the base that you push, and the motorcycle goes forward, and then the TMZ rider falls off, <laughs> like falls over the handlebars type of thing, and you can just do that over and over. It's like a now, it's like a little toy you... of that. When you put it together in that way, after you've laid it all out, it makes perfect sense. Like I can, I can very easily envision what yeah. it is you're trying to convey. Yeah, where it, yeah, it's 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 very small, and it's like you know, so like, of course, the neutral state when it's not locked and ready to go would be like the TMZ guy on the ground and the the motorcycle laying down. But there's some way to reset it and pull it back, and it's just like this little self-contained toy where you can just replay the moment of the of the aliens EMP causing the TMZ rider to go over the handlebars. <laughs> but even I have to ask, what do you think? I you could very easily make the TMZ reporter. Any really, the point of that character is pretty obvious, no matter how you design him. Why do you think Jordan Peele made him look so alien? With that specific kind of like cutout too, like in the visor. Mm, mm. Um, that's a great point. My thought that it didn't happen while I was watching the movie, not knowing where it was going to go. My thought was that it was going to be somehow related. So, of course, what we're talking about is the TMZ, the striking thing of the TMZ reporter on the motorcycle is the helmet, is that it's a fully reflective helmet, um, which I have to say I've never seen in my life before. And I have to also imagine is somewhat illegal because if you're driving on roads with cars and your helmet is reflecting light into other drivers' eyes, you can't do that. But it it is a very striking visual. Um, It's very Daft Punk type of thing. And... My thought yeah. while I was watching the movie was that there was going to be some notion that the TMZ reporter was going to mess up their their corralling of the alien in a very similar way. Because if you remember, when the horse freaks out in the commercial scene at the very start, it's because one of the stagehands holds the light checking ball up to the horse's eyes and it reflects in it and it freaks out. 
I thought that that's what they were going for. It's like, oh, this this thing from the commercial made this animal freak out. This guy's helmet's going to do something very similar to the alien. But then that doesn't happen, and it seems like it's a visual. Maybe there's something left on the cutting room floor there. But that's what I thought was going to happen. But since that didn't, and I think it's such a clear relation to that earlier scene in the movie, I think it's just like, wow, look at this fucking crazy helmet I found. Let's put it on this guy. So is it so again taking another moment like that like i mentioned before with the the gordy's home actress that's obviously horribly disfigured mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that there for any specific purpose or is that there just simply for a striking visual that you know that when you were saying it earlier about how people it was like oh is this an alien when it's not they're disappointed i i think it's there unfortunately to seemingly be a visual and a trailer shot type of thing is that what it is? This that's, is one of those things. That's it's what it it's comes simple. across to me as, but oh, which is unfortunate because there's nothing really else other than, you know, I I actually I think if I'm remembering correctly, or at least what I if I'm remembering what I got from the movie, there is no mention until she shows up at that showing and Stephen Yoon is like, you know, oh, and we have one of my old co-stars here to see the show and everybody claps for. Her. That's the first time we know that that girl is still alive. Because mm-hmm. we also because she's the one too that like. We we see Gordy like well I don't want to say like, fondle her foot or just kind of like he knocks her foot around like when it starts yeah. to twitch and I thought that implication was that you know she's dead and you know and he's and and he's like you know what's going on and stuff like that Gordy when I say he <laughs> I will say that when we see the the when we see her at the we want to call it alien performance whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. she's wearing a sweater with her younger yes oh god face. W- that clearly is meant to infer something by Jordan Peele, right? Obviously not letting go of the past, um, being married to one's previous incarnation mm-hmm. of beauty, like Absolutely. again, clinging, yeah. clinging to that strand of fame that has not been present for decades in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only content she, she has is, is that legacy of the, uh, of the chimp attack for sure. I but I, I yeah that's another thing I think the TMZ reporter and that character don't really you know pay off in any sense other than that they are parts of this story. Well, the TMZ reporter I find very poignant to my you know idea of this being oh everybody's looking for content and you know unique content is the next thing and this TMZ reporter comes out of seemingly nowhere because that's that's what they do they look for content you know in in any way shape or form um I love the line of the TMZ reporter where he's like you guys are way out here this whole area is blacked out on Google Maps and stuff like that you know um and pulls the camera out I I was dying laughing you know, internally, it's not like a laugh out loud moment. The more I've thought about it, I love it. When the TMZ reporter, or OJ goes up to the TMZ reporter after he's fallen off the motorcycle, and OJ's like, I have to help you. We need to get out of here. You're going to die. And the TMZ reporter is like, Take a picture first. Take a picture first. Then, you know, I, I think that pays off more. The woman just kind of, you know, is there to be there and gets sucked up type of thing. Maybe there's something, now that I hashed that out, maybe there's something in the sense that. The two survivors of the Gordy attack do eventually end up being killed by another beast they're trying to tame. Because the only two survivors, I'm pretty sure, from the at least the actors of the sitcom, are the girl and Steven Yoon. And then they end up both dying to another beast in a very similar way, if that makes sense. It, it, it's just that notion of... You have these very... Because again, say what you will about Jordan Peele, but he's not known for 
interesting character design. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there are some moments in U.S. Us about that, but he's not used. He's not. He, it's not a hallmark of his to have striking individual characters. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I was just curious if you think there was anything more to that than just simply striking character. I. I like what I'm saying about the the thematic element now. I didn't really think about that until before this, like this moment of the, you know, the the Gordy's like the cast of Gordy's home is finally all done for. Um, but it it really does come across to me that um oh this is actually a great example. What, what you were just saying, tr- uh, what we were just saying triggered this in me. I have read before that it interviews with Jordan Peele. Um, if if you remember, anybody remembers in U.S. That when they go down into the uh, the world of the tethers, which are all the tunnels under the United States, there's just a shitload of rabbits running around. Do you remember that? And that was in the marketing yeah. a lot, where like rabbit. Okay, so if anybody goes back and watches us, there's a lot of rabbits, and I'm very, I'm pretty sure that's in the marketing too. That they were showing like a lot of rabbits and stuff. And I did read an interview with Jordan Peele where someone was like, "Well, why the rabbits? Like, why put the rabbits down there with the tethers?" And Jordan Peele's answer was, "Rabbits have always scared me, so I put them in there as a." scary visual so i think that lends some credence to the idea that if he has maybe he thinks really visually to these things and he just says well if it's if it's striking if it's scary i'm gonna put it in there because that's what i can do with this medium i i i think that i think there's something there so if it gets a rise out of him that's kind of all that matters yeah i think he has some the rabbits thing was extreme. I think there's some – he is playing to the audience <laughs> like a little that. bit. The rabbits thing is extreme. Yeah, very but... much where it's like – because, you know, that – when I read that, I was – I remember being like I, – I mean, you can be afraid of anything, you know, but rabbits is a weird one, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of dolls, so, you know, everybody's got their, their own. own thing. Yeah, and so – but, yeah, I think he's definitely um, – this has made me think that uh, lean very heavily towards that he just has if he thinks of a striking visual he's going to use it in some way yeah like i said it's just it's peculiar not in any sort of unusual way but just simply because it seems unorthodox for his overall style yes yes absolutely yeah and and don't get me wrong i mean when when lupita nyong'o goes down to um uh the the tunnels and you know, fights other Lupita Nyong'o, which is one of the best scenes in um in in U.S. Fights it's other just, Lupita. Yeah, Nyong'o. when when they're fighting each other, that's great. There's that. just a bunch of rabbits roaming around, and that is a very striking visual. But it's not really scary in the same way that you know, uh, or scarier, you know, like the the deformed girl is, or alien like the uh, TMZ reporter is. Um, but it is striking, and you know that that sticks out to you, and you know there. I'm not saying that's inherently bad. I would like if, you know, everything was well-crafted and and rounded out to be, you know, tying into the theme of these things. But, you know, I have no problem where if, you know, if you come up with a striking, if a filmmaker comes up with a striking visual and wants to implement it, you know, that's good. That's what filmmakers should do, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's just, uh, again, Jordan Peele is still kind of fleshing out his identity as a filmmaker. Again, what? Get Out was 2018? I think. No. Uh, maybe earlier, 2016? 2017? 2017? Maybe. Somewhere in there. <laughs> I think it was a post-Trump movie. It was a post-Trump election okay, movie. Okay. So that's Again, people latched onto it more than they normally would have. Um, yeah, like I said, it's weird because he hasn't given us a lot that he's directly touched. Again, we're so used to kind of looking at the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. Candyman, where he's 
involved but more tangentially yeah that we can't say like in you know, like tarantino or nolan where rob obviously said time we get it time <laughs> yeah or in tarantino's case feet we get it feet <laughs> gore and feet we get it you know? <laughs> Tar- yeah tarantino's next movie is going to be very gory and a lot of people are going to die but feet will all remain intact you know there will exactly. never be like a um like a toe cutting scene or anything like that <laughs> absolutely not like, like somebody shows that like the equivalent of michael madsen and reservoir dogs but it's feet to like tarantino he's like enough <laughs> right? enough yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right on so, right on so okay so other sequences from this film oh, we yes, haven't yes. really we haven't really taught like okay we have the whole subplot of obviously the fries and the cameras trying to capture this and like the whole idea of the quasi electromagnetic pulse that shuts everything off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's something that, again, me being a passive, Oh God, or having a passive interest in like defunct retail stores. Oh, were shit. you aware that the electronic retail store fries went out of business at the end of 2021 uh no i was not i was also not aware that it was a real thing until i looked into it <laughs> after this movie <laughs> so as i was watch as somebody again like i said who, who who follows this sort of thing because i'm a nerd that has no life i was like as i was watching this i'm just like like, like is, is he doing this on purpose mm-hmm. like he did he specifically choose a it's like because again, I thought the movie took place in the past. Like that really weird, like person who didn't know how to speak English that wrote a Wikipedia summary. I thought for oh, the first, I'd okay. say half of this movie that this film took place in 1998. Sure, gotcha. I gotcha. don't know why. I think it had to do some of the Gordy, the Gordy and the Chimp sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm like, oh, this would make sense. Fry's like late 90s when like electronics retail stores were like really a big deal. And then, like, obviously, you get to the film where obviously, the, like, I think Kiki Palmer calls uh, Michael Wincott on the uh, on a smartphone, and I'm just like, no, this clearly has to be something done within the last five years. Yeah, because yeah. what did you think of the idea? Because I'm pretty sure when he was making this movie, Jordan Peele, that Fries was in business. Okay. And okay. then by the time the film comes out, it is a defunct retail chain. I see. Even when I read that it was real and it has gone defunct. I, I still didn't really think much of it because I I just ha- – once again, the striking visual of the store, the outside of the store being designed as a UFO crashing into it, tying into the the no- notion of this movie. I, I mean, uh, of course this movie has a time and a place. You know, it's not well-defined, but, you know, I, I, I just never really I, – I don't know if that is something that ties into it as, as heavily as – as many times as I've seen people say, like, well, this has gone out of business, if, if, if you know what I mean. Because this is the thing, is as I was watching those sequences, like any sort of, like, whether you be, whether it be a Sears, Kmart, mm. JCPenney, <laughs> sure, if sure. you look at the shelves as we see OJ and Kiki Palmer, like, walking throughout the store, those shelves are, like, shockingly barren. Okay, okay. And so as I was watching this the second time, I kept wondering – is Jordan Peele so clever that he would have – because think about it. You could very easily have picked any like – you could have created your own fake like electronics chain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like like what? In the 40-year-old Virgin, like it's clearly meant to be like a circuit city, but it's called like Smart Tech. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like something like that where it's based on something in reality, but it, it 
can't be called that for a whole host of reasons. S Smart from the Evil Dead movie. From yeah, Army of Darkness, course. Yeah. Shop, shop Smart. Shop S Smart. Yep, yep. I'm afraid, lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Um, <laughs> I wonder if Jordan Peele, and this is where, again, I, I hope he's that clever, deliberately chose a store like that with, like, it's always empty. Like, anytime we see, even with, like, Angel, and you see him, and, like, he's doing his own thing watching their security footage. Yeah. It's always empty, the store, except for obviously the one sequence with Barbie Fieri. And I think what, at one point we see his supervisor or somebody walking throughout the store. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I just wonder, did he choose a defunct retail store <laughs> that was so closely shut down within the time? Because, like, again, he must have known Fry's was going out of business. Mm-hmm. Not, not explicitly been like, oh, I'm deliberately doing this. Yeah, not this, like but, insider trading, but he could he could read the tea leaves at least, yeah. Yeah, it's like filming in a Sears. Like, you know it's not going to be yeah. there much longer. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or Warren Buffett to be like, you know what? Chances you are this know, won't be here in five years. Absol- that is such a good point because something I'm going to bring up when we get to snacks is that uh, there's a scene, I think it's it's right before the third act, when um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Angel, whose actor's name I don't know, I didn't write down, unfortunately, but when our main gang... They go to a restaurant to eat, and it's um, it's Copper Pot's Cove or something like that. That's what the name of the restaurant is, which is also in in U.S., which is on the the the, the beach or whatever of the you know, the place where the entrance to the tethered realm is. That is fake. That does not exist in the real world. That is a restaurant he created. So, it's Winky's Diner. Yeah. So it's it's you're you're actually so right that it's so fucking strange that he created this fictional diner. To use in his movies, but then chose to use a real electronic store. That is fascinating, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but again, it, you wonder where that line is drawn. And that, like, what is it that I'm trying to convey to the audience? Because clearly the owners of Fry's had to, again, had to sign. They had to have a PR department yeah. when they were still in business. And they had to sign off on this. Yep, yep. And by the time the film comes out, that chain doesn't exist. That that entire establishment does not exist anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's weird. That I I didn't really think about that now, but when you put it that way, absolutely, that is that is interesting. <laughs> and that's also an aspect on this too is that like think, but you also have a like the characters of this film spend so much time and effort on having technology that will capture this alien mm-hmm. doing its thing. Yeah, and yet ultimately, it's the most rudimentary of cameras. It's this hand grind yeah snapshot polaroid that captures yep, it no on top electrical of obviously, parts yeah absolutely yeah yeah and then michael wincott doing his thing obviously with the perfect shot and a hand crank camera i have um, to say on that note when when he's michael wincott's filming and there's the bit where he's like we gotta reload the film angel and there's the scene of them re like removing and putting in actual film i was yep. like this is fucking cool i'm like nobody's i'm like nobody's gonna fucking care about this except like people like us zach we're like this is fucking cool cool <laughs> oh absolutely and you know like, that absolutely. michael wincott had to in his head be humming that tune to do the 24 frames per second or whatever to keep his hand crank going at the right frame rate <laughs> beautiful oh, yeah that's that's beautiful. Out, that loved all that stuff <laughs> but again I, I, I look at the relationship though between technology in this film and then these organic beings that are quasi the villains mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like when you think of a ufo you obviously think of a a intellectual technological power beyond ours sure and yet the ufo is a hundred percent organic oh yeah oh yeah very neat idea absolutely 
And but again, I think there's much like how we've talked about certain films, and we haven't really talked about the legacy of this film, whether it will be 10, 20 years from now. But like I do feel that there is that room 237 aspect of this, where I think there's a lot of subconscious things that are being telegraphed to the viewer mm-hmm. that are making it very un again, subtextually, subconsciously frustrating. Sure. Sure. It's it's the Overlook Hotel and you and it's Danny driving around <laughs> and it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the, think there's the a window lot of, in um what Ullman's office and stuff. Yeah, like the that. impossible yeah, window. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things like that that are meant there to kind of very, very thinly just frustrate the viewer. That yeah, you're probably right. That's a good point. And and you know where I'm I'm someone like me specifically. You know, I'm someone who's just you know. That stuff, even if it does unnerve me on a subconscious level, I want to ride with it. But I would imagine most of the people are like, you know, it, it it's like something doesn't sit well and you don't really know why. It's like that, um, oh God, I can't remember his name, but that, there's that comedian, um, he, he does, he does a bit, uh, really big, big guy. I got up, uh, someone will put a correction, whoever edits this, or maybe we won't. So go fuck yourself, audience. Louis um, Anderson. Um, that sounds right, actually. Um, no, he, I wanted to be wrong. He, that, I don't know, but that sounds right. But he, he does, he does a bit where, um, he was on, um, a production of Hairspray and he had to shave his eyebrows. And then when he would walk around in real life and he didn't have any eyebrows cause they hadn't grown back yet. He has this bit where he says like, when people talk to you and you don't have eyebrows, they look at you like, they know something's wrong, but they don't know what's wrong. Hey kids, Zach can rest easy knowing that he was actually incorrect. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't remember the name of the great comedian John Panette in this case. Uh, if, you, if you ever check out his stand-up, it's fantastic. But John Panette was who I was referring to. And, and it unnerves people. It makes them unsettled. It makes them, you know, on edge. And I... And I think that's another reason that I'm glad we got to it to add to the people going like, you know, this movie is not exactly what I wanted. And maybe they have a lot of reasons on the surface that they can explain why it's not what they wanted, which I think we've gone through, you know, plenty of detail. But that it, there's another subconscious level of them still going like something about this unnerves me and not in a way I'm happy with. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get behind that. <laughs> I, think, I, I, might, I don't remember, but it might be Louis Anderson. <laughs> God damn it. If it's Louis Anderson, I'm going to be so mad because I don't <laughs> – that was meant to be literally a shot, in the, an intentional like shot in the dark but at the ground. If I end up hitting the target, I'm going to be so mad. Um, speaking of um, uh, of other things, you know, I, I do love you know, visuals and scenes and moments in this movie. I, I do love the idea of um, – I guess you'd call it the the alien expelling the things it can't digest. You know, So, of course, um, the blood – uh, you know, on the house, which is a great, you know, it rains blood on the house, basically a little localized storm above the house of blood. I, I love that that's, you know, the, um, the impetus of the story, or at least the first scene, the, the reason Keith David is dead is because this alien was above their, their ranch, and, you know, it was expelling all this inorganic material that it couldn't digest, which ends up, you know, what, it hurts, uh, Key lands in the horse, it kills Keith David with the nickel, uh, that type of stuff. I thought that was such a neat idea, and it, it, it's con- it conforms to the rules of this universe that, um, you know, this this creature, this organic creature, like you were saying, well, it's it's not like it's just, it has pica and it's chewing down on metal and stuff like that. It can only really eat the meat of, of these creatures, mm-hmm. and I thought that was fantastic. Well, yeah, it's it's literally consuming the flesh. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so that's so cool to me that you know that that little touch was included. Um, oh, and speaking of a small touch, 
Another thing I found fascinating um, that I almost forgot about because it's such a small part of this movie, the notion of the cloud never moving. Yep. That is such a fantastic idea, horror movie or not, that, you know, that's not anything that anybody would notice in their day-to-day life because no one, you know, would stare that long at a cloud. It, you'd have to be purposely watching the sky at in such a way that these characters are to even notice that. And, like, when that happened in the movie where, where I think it's Angel that discover it, where, where he, like, comes to the ranch and, you know, he's like, look at, look at this footage because I've been watching your footage and stuff like that. This cloud hasn't moved in, what, six hours or a day or whatever he says or something like that. And I'm like, that is just a fantastic notion to put forward in a film, <laughs> in a story. Oh, definitely. That's like, and it's also interesting too that also to show the prowess of Michael Wincott's character. Yeah. That as soon right. as he shows up, he, that's the first thing he picks up on. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, so you do got something here, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> really, really. And that's, you know, that's the thing, really cool stuff that just neat ideas like that are what add to the movie like this to me where you know also the cloud thing i think everybody not when i say everybody i think a lot of people can get behind and be like that's neat that's cool i never really would have thought of that i never thought of that about that before that type of thing compare that though to something like the um the shoe standing up on its tip i definitely think there's got i haven't seen this or heard this but i imagine there's a lot of people being like you know what the fuck is that like why would the shoot land that way you know that type of thing the people not thinking about it as a bad miracle or some sense um but it's it's still just as interesting um i took the shoe standing on its tip to maybe not to be a direct nod at least a very very for me personally heavy-handed reminder of um there's a twilight zone episode bring it back to the twilight zone of course where a guy flips a coin after um he pays for a newspaper and the coin lands on its side and the episode turns out this gives him the ability to read minds until the coin falls over um but it's this notion of that you know something something that's so weird it's not impossible it's just improbable and it's a neat idea i I love those ideas they they make me want to think about this movie where i think you know to go back to the audience of this film saying like well what the fuck was that like why didn't i get that why didn't i understand that or why wasn't explained to me and they get angry about it you know and it's like no just take a cool idea as a cool idea you know (laughs) oh definitely um, I'm trying to think. I had one other moment. I tip my tongue. I not one more moment, but just another moment. So, okay, going back to the notion of the bad miracle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What looking through? I, I, that's one thing that I get. What that means in the context of obviously the shoe standing upright, but going through Jordan Peele filmography, just everything that he's touched. Is there any other deeper meaning to that that I that I wasn't able to perceive? The only thing that I was thinking of is that um so the uh the uh, the the idea of get out like the the putting like the white people's consciousness into black people's bodies is a scientific discovery at least from what I remember from get out is that it is a form of hypnosis that Catherine Keener does to suppress the person's, you know, conscious, put it in the, what, the the down, the deep place or whatever they called it in Get Out, the sunken place in Get Out. And then there's actually a surgery to be done to put the the person's consciousness into the um, the sunken person's body. That made me think of, oh, that is a scientific miracle to some extent, but it is bad for people. If that's the only, that's the closest thing I could. All right, no, okay, yeah. I didn't even think of that. 
Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense, actually. In U.S., there's I don't I've only seen U.S. once, um, which I should rewatch again because with the in the whole movie with the notion of you know um, uh, the Iran Contra incident and stuff like that. Um, but I I don't think if I remember correctly correctly there's any explanation of what the tethers are and how the tethers got there. These doppelgangers. So uh, that one I I have no connection. No um you know connection to the bad miracle for. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing, too, is that he's going back to the shoe. I think another issue with the shoe is, again, the shoe is a striking visual. Mm-hmm. I think because he only shoots it from the one angle, right? Like we only yes. see it from like, oh, God, would you want to call it the, the part where you insert your foot into it? Yeah. yeah. We never see it from any other angle. Even when the chimp with the Gordy chimp attack scene, when it's shown in full, uh, you know, in the middle of the movie, um, when the camera is panning around the set, you know, to get to the where it was planted, where the camera was planted down uh, at the beginning of the movie to show it from, we learn, you know, Steven Yoon's perspective. I even think when it's when it's moving around the set, the shoe is on the ground and we're seeing like there's a sofa in front of it or an armchair that's blocking mm-hmm. it. So we only ever see it from that one angle. Yeah. Do you think <sighs> – I think in, I think a lot of the frustration from this movie comes from those sequences. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you think that they could have done better? I don't know if it's better, but just made it more palatable to audiences as to why that's important. Not explaining it, but just would have maybe. That's is tough. there any way to improve those sequences? I I don't know. Nothing comes to mind immediately. That might be something I have to think on, just because that's so. I I mean I'm, you know personal bias. I found it so in, intriguing and so well done that you know. I, I guess I'd need to. We need to ask someone who is upset with that. Be like, well, what would you want? You know that type of thing. And maybe it's a notion of these people who, you know, when you say it's like, would it? Is there a way to make it, you know, more accessible to these mass audiences? Maybe it's a thing where, on the subconscious level, it, it's you know, irking people, and they can't explain what could make it better. So I'm not sure. That's a tough one. Yeah, because again, I, it just feels like in every single review or criticism. It always goes back to that. I never see – it's weird. I, after watching the movie, I thought there would be a lot of just debate about the why the alien is just like a giant tent monster. Mm-hmm. And yet that seems to be something that people are OK with. Yeah, I haven't seen any backlash for that. It, only indifference or people going, oh, it's an angel from Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's it. <laughs> which I Which did not even blip on my radar. Yeah, yeah. But you're someone who can appreciate a cool design, a unique design. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, it's weird to think of an alien spaceship as organic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially one with such a conventional design of, like, the flying saucer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, I, I think we mentioned already, but just to reiterate, I, found, I find that fantastic that it starts out, you know, as a flying saucer and turns into this pulsating, you know, kite creature, like you said, uh, um, you know, bunch of tarps and stuff like that strewn together. <laughs> Pretty much like that's. And so this is, an, it, oh God, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, Rob. I think I kind of want to read it to you in real time and get your thoughts on all this. Okay. But I don't know which one it was, but it was, I it had to be Logan Paul. Did oh, okay. a tweet I did not thread. expect that name to pop yeah, up. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was Logan Paul. Logan Paul did a tweet thread on Nope. Okay. Where he discusses... Something I don't think should be allowed, but okay. I don't have to yes. say over that. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to get... Okay, I'm trying to find the exact Twitter thread right now mm-hmm. just so I can, like, read it in real time. 
Um, so while I'm doing that and just trying to find it so I have it prepped and ready to go, um, there's one other piece of merchandise oh, for okay. this that I think – or actually two pieces of merchandise that I think you will appreciate beyond uh, dressing up as uh, the not-aliens <laughs> of the yeah, film. Yeah. One – and I sent it to you in a Facebook message right now. Okay. Did you get a chance – look at it right now. And it's for the steel book of Nope. Ooh. I want you to look at it and tell me what your thoughts are on that packaging as I uh, prime the the Logan Paul tweets. Okay, let me pull it up. Let's see. Uh, when's this coming out? I guess it's going to take uh, October 11th. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's going to come out, like well, I think, oh, God, less than a month from now. Best Approximately. Buy wants to use my location. Go fuck yourself, Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> it asked me twice. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm looking at the – it looks like the slip cover of the steelbook is um, the one of the parts of the inside of the creature, which is also what the um, opening credits play over, which is really cool. Mm, mm. Um, the, the actual booklet is the Daft Punk motorcycle helmet. That Well, for the record, this is the case. That's the front of the case, and the helmet is the back of the case. Oh, oh okay, so that's not the slipcover. Okay, gotcha. No, no, this is, this is legit what the packaging will be. Okay, okay, okay. So, so then, when you look at that, yeah. what do you, how would you – like as for – like obviously steelbook art is always niche. It's not meant to be what the mass the mass release will sure. be. Like well, you'll see it like a Best Buy, a Walmart, a Target, so on and so forth. What do you think of them choosing those two images as the 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 niche artwork? And part A being that, part B being, what do you think Steelbook nerds think of that? Mm, um, front cover, so the inside of the alien creature, makes perfect sense to me. I think that that fits because that's, of course, what, like we said, the opening credits go over. That's also a very key part of the movie when we learn that this thing, you know, what what that, this weird, you know, box shape is. Back cover, marketing striking image, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that just falls right into that. Um, I have to say, I do like that one of the discs, the um, the O in Nope is the hole in the center of the Blu-ray, which is, which is of course, low-hanging fruit, but, you know, a nice touch. What Steelbook nerds think of this... I have no idea what steelbook nerds think of anything. I, I'm pretty sure I own one steelbook, and it's for Final Fantasy 15, not even a movie. <laughs> um, but I, I have to imagine that if a, a steelbook nerd who wants to buy this movie, like not somebody who just collects steelbooks for the sake of collecting steelbooks, but for someone who's getting the steelbook of this movie because they love the movie, this would be a little disappointing. That's my guess. You are a hundred percent correct. Woo! Because oh, big when, money, <laughs> like it. I know, right? Um, because in the lead up for this, like there was gonna be a Nope Steelbook, and I like before the artwork even went live, like mm-hmm. they had like a, a placeholder image. I think it's like the David Kluya looking up, oh, and okay. it's like okay, everybody knows that's not gonna be the actual art. Sure, like sure. everybody knew that. So when this was unveiled, like I was looking at it, and I'm like, this is kind of phenomenal. Like this is the equivalent if you were to make like a Stanley Kubrick Shining Steelbook, it would be. Oh, geez. Like, it'd be, like, criterion level. Like, it would just be, like, you take a really out-of-place moment in the movie yeah, yeah, and make that the focal point. And, like, I'm reading the comments. Like, it was, like, on Instagram. And, like, all the comments are just bashing it. And I'm like, 
you nerds, like you nerds are stupid. This is kind of <laughs> great. Like, like, and, and like, and it's funny. Like, whoever like runs that Instagram account, like announcing, the, it's like it's a fan account, but they're just like they like my comment, and I'm like, thank you. At least somebody gets where I'm coming from, and that's why I'm saying I'm like, like this is like Jordan Peele's version of that sort of prestige. Like, and that I don't mean like as in Christopher Nolan prestige, but I just mean like very, very just abstract and i think do you think this is his most abstract film like relative to the other heavy-handed stuff and i think that's why the steelbook artwork is so appropriate is because it's such an abstract encapsulation of what the film's about i i definitely agree i can't make out i've zoomed in a little bit oh i can uh losing resolution it doesn't really look like there's much in the reflection on the helmet on the back cover, I would have. I think it would have been cool if they made it out of some reflective material so you can see yourself in it. <laughs> it might uh, be gloss. We can only hope it's glossy. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but um, no, I mean it's not terrible. I don't really know how much I like the. Um, no, okay, no, the map with the with the little like the little planning map is the inside artwork where you put the discs and stuff like that. That's 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 fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Um, their little table map. Oh, it's even got the lace in the top left corner. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do people who buy steelbooks want? Like, what would that's what I mean. Be though. Like the whole yeah. point, like the whole point of like the steelbook art is for it to be like visually striking yeah, relative yeah. to like the mass release that you will see for the next five years on shelves. Mm-hmm. And so, like again, not to juxtapose it to Top Gun Maverick, but like the Top Gun Maverick artwork was like released for the Steelbook, which is being like weirdly released. Like every retailer is like getting the Steelbook and just like slight variations of it. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's like Top, uh, no, I'll say Top Gun. Much like Tom Cruise that's, that's, walking in Tom front Cruise of a plane. Is, is that it? I think that's the mass like release. Oh, like okay, that's okay. the generic. Yeah, yeah. But like the Steelbook is just him like in the cockpit. It's like. Eh? Yeah, like, uh. like there's nothing unique about that. There's nothing striking about that. There's nothing that differentiates that release on the shelf, whether it be in the store or on your bookshelf versus everything else in your collection. Definitely. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like I said, I, I feel like people have fundamentally misunderstood like what this film was. I think people are mad oh, yeah, that it's not yeah. Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they're mad about that. I think they're mad that it's not Get Out. I think they're, um, I think I'm with you. Like, we, I think this whole discussion has been getting at that, that it's, they don't understand this movie and are not even attempting to understand this movie, um, which is a bummer. But I mean, that's kind of the world we live in. And I feel like we, we just harp on that more and more as we go through different movies, you know, and stuff like that. Damn straight. <laughs> Damn straight. All righty, Rob. But this being said, speaking of misunderstanding films, are you ready to for me to read Logan Paul's no thread? I, I mean, I I guess. <laughs> okay, Rod's buckled in. So, okay, Rob, do you okay? Because there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Jesus eleven, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. I'm gonna I'm gonna read each tweet. And I'm gonna let you respond to it if you feel the need to. Uh, okay. Are there are there it. like do the sentences end within the tweets? Yes, it, okay, no. if you need to he read, does like, ask questions. He okay. does ask questions. Oh, okay. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you need to read two tweets so it doesn't cut off in the middle of sentence, sure, of I'm course. fine with that. Yeah, of okay. course. Okay. We'll carry his thought across uh, yeah, the lead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is the first. Nope is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. 
I love Jordan Peele and Kiki Palmer can act her ass off, but this movie is objectively slow and confusing with stretch themes that don't justify the pace. Parenthetical, a thread. Next tweet. It's not hard to conceptualize something disturbing. A trained chimp goes animalistic and mauls an entire set or a UFO devours anything in its path. It is hard to sensibly tie it to the plot, which was done remarkably poor here. A series of questions. Spoiler alert. One, no one was curious how a quarter shot through a man's face and killed him or why a key was lodged in the backside of the horse he was riding. Question mark. I'm going to take a break here. Wait. So oh, oh, is he saying that no one understood that in the movie or no one questioned yes, it in the yes. movie? He, okay, okay. Nobody in the movie's universe is questioning why a man got a quarter through the eye and then a key was lodged in the backside of a horse. I mean, I – don't they answer that directly in the movie where there's an offhand line where Daniel Kaluuya says they said it must have been debris from a plane or something like that? Yes. Okay, so so he was on his phone during the movie, which, I mean, makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm – actually, we should say he is a content creator. This is actually – now I'm actually excited. I I didn't think of this until now. We're Jake Paul – Logan Paul, right? Okay, they're they're the same person. Uh, No one's ever seen him in the same room together, I swear. No one's uh, sorry. No one's ever seen them in the same YouTube video together. <laughs> um, they are content creators. Um, so he he was probably watching this movie through his phone while live streaming it, right? Mm, so okay, a bootleg, so, a bootleg, from a bootleg the yeah, bootleg. Exactly. He is the TMZ reporter. Um, I so that you know, uh, right there. That that's a, a little misstep. But okay, oh, that's fine. You can you can there's, miss a line still, in the movie. It happens. You know, there are still ten bullet points. And that was one, number one? Yes, that was okay. one. Next, why slash how did the shoe stand upright on the set of Gordy's? Oh, that's what I was saying This before. one, I'm that sure, has a reason, but I haven't up. found anything that makes sense. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I, I mean, that's just that, – I, I think I got at that before where it's like, you know, if it doesn't – like people are saying this doesn't make sense. I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, you know, how about you think about it a little bit? You know, how about you realize that this is a movie? This is a fabrication. Hey, hey, Logan Paul and Jake Paul. I'm going to keep confusing them. I always say Jake Paul first. You know, you ever realize you ever realize the fact that, you know, nothing you do is is real. Everything's fucking scripted for views. That's what a movie is, you know, and just like you faked. Okay, allegedly or, or in my opinion, just like you faked Allegedly. your original Pokemon Allegedly. box set opening and got screwed out by G.I. Joe cards, just like you faked that for views and ruined a company's reputation, a very malicious thing to do, Jordan Peele can fake things too. Do you ever realize that? Like, fucking, that's the same people. Like, I, I, this is a bad example, but, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there. It's probably the, um, the, the Christians and stuff that go like, how can Harry Potter make something levitate? It makes no sense. And it's like, it's a fucking movie. Shut up. That's just, that's just stupidity. That's an, a, level of not, a level of not suspending disbelief to make your life sadder. Um, uh, more cinema sins is the better example. He's yes, very cinema there, sins, right? There's there. a lot of cinema sins in this. Okay, yeah, which is right. which is the norm for content these days. Yeah, so. yeah. Ding. All right, three. <laughs> no, the deep voice cinematographer was cryptic for no reason other than to be cryptic. You're telling me this guy was willing to die because he wanted better lighting to capture the ET? For real? Question mark. I. <laughs> I think wanting better lighting is a gross understatement of what uh, Anster, Anster, uh, what Holmes' character, his last name was Holmes, 
character wanted in that scene. <laughs> he mm. wanted he wanted the shot that nobody else could get, not just better lighting. <laughs> that Rob, I'm pretty sure that's a little interpretation of it. I, I think if you look at the shooting script, it would say. Antler's hoist goes up the hill. <laughs> Was it hoist? I don't know. Holst, 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 whatever. Okay, yes. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, I, okay, well, uh, I can see where someone would think that he wants better lighting because he says the light's about to be magic, and I, this is very certainly a thing in photography and filmmaking and, and any any capturing on, you know, a, a medium of the golden hour or the magic hour, that type of thing. Um, so I can see how you get that, but that's, I think, a... A, once again, a more literal representation and not, you know, thinking about what that means thematically for that character or for the movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Number four, same note, man on the motorcycle. Why was his voice deep and robotic, framed to be an antagonist who'd have a grand reveal? Was it Mystery... deep and robotic? <laughs> I, I don't think so. No, he sounds like a dude. Yeah, he, he sounds like a dude. Like a, like a, like a normal guy. <laughs> mystery solely for the sake of mystery is confusing and leaves too many open ends for a viewer trying to invest themselves in the storyline. Never mind this happens, what, at least three quarters of the way through the film, if yeah, not more? Yeah. Read that last the last sentence again. After the, Mystery... After the deep and... Mystery solely for the sake of mystery is confusing and leaves too many open ends for a viewer trying to invest themselves in the storyline. So what is he doesn't like, you know, true detective, like a mystery (laughs) to be written as a mystery? Like, what does that mean? I don't understand what that sentence means. All right. Oh, oh, maybe more of like he's like, you know, is he one of those people that gets, you know, angry, just not at anybody? He just gets irrationally angry in general after they finish Mulholland Drive because it challenged them? (laughs) Probably. That, that, yes. All right. My next point. He actually writes my next point. Oh, okay. I, I, line... I'm glad he did because I thought it was going to be somebody else's point. <laughs> I know, right? I, I like that. I like you have to – never mind its continuation. He announces that just in case you couldn't confuse it with anybody else in the Twitter thread. The storyline is all over the place. In a crowd of 40 people, the actress who was mauled on the set of Gordy's home was there. Why? Shock factor because of her scarring? Does she come to all of them? Does she come before the E.T. feeding? I, I think the answer to that, or maybe not an answer, but a rebuttal to that is that I had no good answer. I had that same thought. I was on in this conversation. I was on that same train that she might be there just for shock factor. And by giving it some thought and discussing it, I think I came up with a pretty, re, a pretty good idea about why she was there thematically in that the, uh, the Gordy's chimp attack survivors finally got killed off. And that ties into that. You can't escape the beast deformed or not, you know, deformed versus of the girl and Steven, you not being deformed, you know, you can't keep trying to tame the beast. It's going to get you at the end. And if, you know, if he gave some thought to that, instead of just writing it off, maybe he would have reached a, maybe not the same conclusion, but a conclusion that would make him go, Oh, okay. That's interesting. I like that. I'm glad that I, I, I worked that out, you know? I'm sorry it wasn't like a Sudoku that you can easily fucking figure out and get a good answer to and then just, just discard. Once again, Sudoku's just content. Nobody frames a Sudoku that they finished because it's just a grid of numbers. They just throw it away. Sorry it wasn't that, man. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Jupe has trauma with the phenomena of commercializing predators for profit. And for the last six months, he's been feeding horses to an ET in the sky. But what about what? Eh, but what about before? What, what the hell? <laughs> but what about before that? Like, that's literally what he wrote. Like, that is insane. What is the purpose of that creepy cowboy theme park? Con- content. 
He wants to, like, Stephen Yoon has to make content, because not only was he in Gordy's home, he's more famous for being in some Western show as a kid, right? Remember that whole thing where it's like, yep, Kiki yep. Palmer's like, oh, you were the you were the Asian kid in whatever that, sh-. I don't have literally no recollection of what I was called now, but he's like, you were the Asian kid, and he's like, yeah, and he's like, oh, he has all the memorabilia on display, it's the Gordy's home stuff that's in the secret room, so why wouldn't he capitalize off that, right? Like, if, if you were best known as a child star in a Western, when you grow up, Maybe, you you know, you keep milking that because that's your legacy. That's your content, right? Damn straight. All right. Why was so much emphasis placed on the names of the horses? They had title cards. Why? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I have. We didn't even mention that, that there's the title cards in this movie that are uh, names of the animals. Um, Do you think Logan Paul thinks that Jean Jacket was the name of a horse and not the name of the alien? <laughs> because that was kind of the point that it was building up to the fact that, you know, they have to name all these horses and Daniel Kaluuya and the Haywoods have such a tie to their horses because it's their capital. And then they have to name this creature because that's the only way they know how to, to deal with animals and, and understand animals. Does, do you think he was like, Oh, it's just another fucking horse name when Jean jacket is the probably, last title. Probably, card? Okay. Probably. I mean, that makes sense. You would have to assume that when he's not on his phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, number eight. Why was Barbie Fieri, an incredible acting talent, so underutilized in this movie? Why was she even in the movie? Okay, I mean, you could say the same thing about Keith David, right? <laughs> Fantastic acting talent. Why wasn't he in the entire fucking movie? I mean, say that about every movie ever made. Like, you could be like, you know, oh, I saw Bullet Train. But why wasn't Tom Cruise in it? I like Tom Cruise. Why wasn't he in it? Like, get the what? What is that? What What are you asking right now? <laughs> I will say though, I do think there was stuff cut out with her. I, I I totally agree. Like I was saying, I think we were gonna get. I thought we were gonna get her back and reveal that he was. She was the girlfriend of Angel and stuff like that. Or at least, if not that, come back in some other way. But nope. So you know, it just kind of has to happen. But doesn't that doesn't that question also kind of come up where you know? Osgood Perkins. Why didn't he show up more? I think the um like the uh the like the uh, not the DP but like the PA or whatever that's like dealing with Daniel Kaluuya in that same commercial scene. He's um he was on CSI for a while, you know. He's like a, he's like a, a that guy, you know. I don't even know his name, but I've seen him in TV shows and you know, he's one of those just that guys. He pops up character actors. Well, why wasn't he in it more? What what is that question? I don't understand that question. The why wasn't he in it more is because you know movies are finite things. <laughs> yes, but I, like I said, that's one where I feel there's more. There there's something that was trimmed. That's one where oh, sure, again, not sure. the, I'm not giving him credit, but I do think that you don't put somebody like that in that position. Not saying there's some grand subplot that was cut out of the mm-hmm, film, mm-hmm. but I do think there, I imagine there was more scenes in just her like sneaking up behind angel. than like Definitely. her reacting to him, like yelling in a monitor. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because I think because she is so noticeable, at least for the people who watch euphoria, um, that, you know, you'd expect maybe at least one other thing, but I mean, that's not, uh, there's no rule that the movie has to operate that way where he seemingly, he thinks there is. Yeah, no, he, he's a goober. All right, number nine. <laughs> Way to strip all the life from a phenomenal actor, Daniel Kaluuya, by casting him as possibly the most mundane vanilla actor I've ever seen. Not oh a question. My, okay. I'm just pissed. That that's just that's just a misunderstanding of the masterclass of what cinema should not cinema should be. What a lot of acting that people don't realize is. I, I think you know a, a a great actor is somebody who can pull off things without even saying them you know 
like the emotion of seeing of the the way you're watching their facial expressions and the way you're watching how they react, even as minuscule as those facial expressions might be, the ability for that actor to use those to convey to the audience what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're going to do next possibly, or maybe the uncertainty of what they're going to do next to add tension, that is what a good performance is. I don't know what the hell... You know what, actually? I just figured it out. Jake, The Pauls, Jake Paul and Logan Paul, are content creators. They're on YouTube. You know what you have to do for YouTube and TikTok to get your message across to these people? Big, emotive, enunciated reactions. Maybe the Pauls don't know how to... Maybe maybe there's some level of autism there that they don't understand oh facial expressions. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe, no, maybe it's not autism. Maybe it's instilled... No, institutionalized autism because they don't know how to react to anything without being bombastic and over the top that when... Like they can't even pick up, you know, emotion on other people's faces when it is on a much smaller scale when it's not done for views. Yes. All right. <laughs> I'm running. Out, I'm running out of witty remarks. Um, to Rob's insightful. Comments. I know. No, you're you're good. You got all the. Uh, you got all the. All the. You have to read this tweet, which I don't envy. <laughs> Like I said, we should say for the record, Logan Paul, like I said, again, he's baffled, but I think this is being done by someone who, A, is just disengaged, mm. and B, oh, is just going yes, for the... Yes. There, there's things to attack in this movie, but I think he's going for the lowest of low-hanging Absol- fruit. Yeah, he's going for the cinema sins, like we said, absolutely. All right, number 10, an extraterrestrial creature that is advanced enough to fully shapeshift, activate an anti-electromagnetic field, and propel itself in any direction quickly and quietly... Can't tell the difference between a plastic inflatable and a viable meal. Nope. He actually wrote that. Okay. okay, okay. No. What did, what did he call the, the, the creature? What did he? At the, I, I, I knew you were going to sit there and get this. Anti-electromagnetic no, field. No, before that. Before that. Oh, okay. Uh, fully shapeshift. 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 Okay. Do you think he thinks peacocks can shapeshift? Because they can spread their feathers. What what shape shifting is the I know what he means, but that is the absolute incorrect word to use for what this creature does. Do you know those lizards when they like puff out their like they look like res- regular geckos, but then they like you know they hiss and they have that fan come out of the sides of their neck? Is that shape shifting to the paws? Like that is the wrong word to use, right? He should say umbrella esque. <laughs> Okay, you heard it here first, folks. The the Pauls think umbrellas can shape shift. <laughs> it's the same science, folks. Same science. Does, I mean, would you call like the Transformers shape shifters? They just move their parts Rob, around. Rob, Rob, Rob. They're just robots in disguise. There's they, a big difference there. <laughs> they're shape shifters. I, I think we've I think we've cracked it. Um, that that's so so strange to me, especially because he's he's saying in here that he he's maybe not explicitly, but he's he's. Acknowledging that it's organic, that it's a creature, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he he's conceding that shapeshifter is such a weird fucking way to put that. Oh god, that's just a a level of thought I I don't operate on. You know, I'm not saying I, I'm better. Or it's better or worse than me, but that's just something I would never have thought to say. The okay, I I got hung up on that actually. If you could read the read the read the, the <laughs> sentence before the nope, which might be the whole thing. All right, I'm just gonna read the entire okay, thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> An extraterrestrial creature that is advanced enough to fully shapeshift, activate an anti-electromagnetic field, and propel itself in any direction quickly and quietly can't tell the difference between a plastic inflatable and a viable meal. 
Nope. Mm, mm, okay. Okay. Got, you got. You got it. I have. I'm sorry, but I have to emphasize the nope. It's in all caps. So, so he's call. So he's he's recognizing that it's sentient and it has these abilities, but it it it's not smart enough to to distinguish between this this um. It 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 made me think the balloon thing made me think of big boy, you know, like it made me think of um like a big inflatable big like big boys burgers type of thing. Um, that's okay. That's that's interesting. Um, that wow, like okay, <laughs> this broke Rob. This broke Rob. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of the best example. Like he has to have. He has to know about like the way the animals don't understand mirrors, right? Like he has to understand that like. Why will a bear attack a mirror? Because it thinks it's another bear. This is a, the movie even sets it up that this is this creature, this alien is an animal. There's nothing in, in the movie that implies that it's it's has in the intelligence of a human. Like mm-hmm. what God, that just seems so misguided. It, it's an animal. Like Maybe maybe he gets upset that animals are stupid and they don't understand what, you know, mirrors are, you know? Maybe he maybe he's one of the people who gets upset that, you know, cats are afraid of pickles because they think they're snakes or whatever. Like, does he go, stupid cats are so fucking stupid, it's a pickle, it's not, or a cucumber, it's not a snake? Like, I don't, nothing in the movie. Can How did I, he take I, that this I, thing is, is smarter than people or as smart as I people? I love, love the idea of, of Logan Paul getting mad at his cat for being afraid of a mirror. <laughs> I love the idea of that. That is, that, that, that is a fantastic uh, faux scenario right there. That that, beautiful. So, 10 that, out of 10. Once again, just another level of thought I don't operate on. That is baffling to me. <laughs> it's Okay, we got one more left and that's okay, it. He's, okay. he's wrapping it up. He's wrapping it up. I love Peel, I love the visual effects and aesthetic, but my thesis is I can feel him attempting to recreate the shock from Get Out in Us. Mystery violent allure and cinematic choices made for the sake of reaction instead of legitimate contribution to the storyline killed this movie for me. So when he's saying recreate to his other movies, does he believe that the other movies were just for shock? Is is that what I, he's getting at? I'll read it again. Okay. I can feel him attempting to recreate the shock from Get Out in Us. Mm-hmm. Mystery, violent allure, and cinematic choices made for the sake of reaction instead of legitimate contribution to the storyline kill this movie for me. He thinks this movie is shock and awe where he does not think that Get Out and Us uh, did anything like that. Okay, maybe he's saying uh, – I'm getting a little bit – maybe he's saying that there there is some kind of shock factor to those other movies, but they at least were adding to the, the story the, that was given. That screams to me of the um, – Something like that. That screams to me uh, that he w- falls into the camp I was describing of um, – or the subset, I should say, of, of people going like if – you know, I, like, I didn't see a message in this movie, so there isn't one. So everything that happens is, in the movie is in and of itself vacuous. Which is a bummer. You would have you would have to assume that's what he's getting yeah, at. Yeah, I I don't fully understand that, but you know, like, but I think that's what we were saying this whole time. I, I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> yeah, but that concludes the uh, Logan Paul uh, thoughts on no. Nope. So strange. So I'm assuming Zach that you found this in your research by looking for reactions to Nope, and you don't regularly yes. follow the polls. Yes. Okay. I do not follow the polls. Um, okay. Neither do I. <laughs> I also don't have a Twitter. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, a lot of people are wrong. They can have their opinions. They can put as many dings on CinemaSins as they want. And uh, but um, 
And the, the, I think the bummer of it all is, you know, on a grander scale, something that we were saying before that we just keep harping on this, that, you know, when we, when we boil it down to saying people are stupid, I, I think that's becoming more and more clear to me is that, you know, at least for me, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, Zach, but when I say that I think people are stupid when, you know, we have these discussions about movies, it, it's really that people don't want to discuss it. People want to have an immediate opinion to the content. They want to discard the content and move on to the next one. They want to use this immediate opinion for content, and they don't want to hash it out because, you know, I'm not saying I would love to talk to any of the Pauls about this movie, but I would love to talk to somebody who had those same feelings and is willing to have a discourse about this so I could explain some of the things we laid out in this episode to them. And I think that's part of the reason we do this podcast is because we like to give these opinions, and hopefully people can listen to them and have differing ones and at least, you know, engage in some type of discussion or acknowledgement that there are maybe quite possibly things they did not think of. I know there's things I probably didn't think of, um, which is a great reason. Shout out to uh, Carlos, who's a listener of this. Um, We've been going back and fucking forth over everything, everywhere, all at once, and he's still very angry at me that I love that movie as much as I do. Um, But uh, we need more people like that. We don't need the people who are just going to say, these are my problems, done, threadlocked. Fuck you. I'm moving on to buying my next fake box, fake box of Pokemon cards. <laughs> um, good movie, though. So what Great he, movie. So, so, so what happened with the fake Pokemon cards? There's this, he had what? this. So, so there's, there's a very niche market. Well, the, 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 the content on YouTube and, and Twitch and stuff like that, there's a huge, a huge like, community. And streamers that don't even always do this or content creators that don't always do this have, have gotten into it. They will try and find, like, boxes of, of cards. Magic the Gathering, uh, Pokemon is a huge one, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! even. And they will open them on stream type of thing. And and the the really, like, big creators, so, you know, like, your, your Pauls, your Moist Critical, your Ludwig, and, like, the, the your huge names. I don't think, like, Germa's done anything like this. Um, but, like, the huge names, they will try and find, like... In, which are in very limited resource, original, like, sets. So, like, the first set of Pokemon cards or the first set of Magic the Gathering ever, for, like, old, old Yu-Gi-Oh! sets, like, from when we played Yu-Gi-Oh! Zach, they will try and find boxes that are sealed and authentic, which you can imagine, you might think they don't exist, but some of them still do exist because people had the foresight of, of collection, you know? They will try and find them and buy them and then sell off packs to make an insane amount of money. So I think Pay Money Wubby did it when he got he – he actually found an original – not the base set of Pokemon but like the jungle set of Pokemon. And he did a stream where it was like, you know, you can buy X many packs but each pack costs like, you know – $5,000 or something like that. And he'll open the packs on stream for content. And then, you know, it'll be like, oh, th- like this this person bought one pack. I'm going to open their pack now and they get all these cards. But, you know, we get the content for people watching it because people have an insane affliction of, you know, gambling and opening packs of cards is gambling. And so Logan Paul or Jake, the Pauls, they, they got they seemingly came into the possession of an original Pokemon box, like base set of Pokemon sealed and they went through they did this whole video where they finally got it from this seller they they went through this whole rigmarole of how the seller was verified they thought it was authentic but then they brought in this company to you know evaluate its authenticity and it's sealed so it's shrink wrapped so they have to they, they bring in this company to be like you know oh well you know was it was it open and resealed like there's things you can look for to see if it's legitimate or not 
And in this video, the uh, the company said it was authentic. Like they went through their checks. They explained it very thoroughly. And as these companies do, these validators do, I think they're very closely tied to card graders. You know, you can send off a card to get it graded like people mm-hmm. do with their first edition Charizards and stuff like that. And the the company guy was like, this is, this is legitimate. Like this is a real, we can, you know, we think it's okay. Because there's a stipulation when the Pauls bought it that if they open it, they can't sell it back. You know, they can't get their crazy amount of money. Because you can imagine... There's such little boxes of sealed or real Pokemon stuff. I don't know how much they paid for it, but it was probably in like the the tens, if not, you know, $100,000 or something like that. Because then they can sell the packs off to crazy people. And so this guy says it's authentic. And then in the video, they go ahead and open it up. And it turns out that it's a box. It's a, it is the real Pokemon box, but it's filled with packs of G.I. Joe cards oh, okay. that are useless. And once this happened... It was content. Everybody was like, oh, you know, well, the initial reactions of the people that, you know, saw this in real time, which I was thankfully not one of because I, I like to think I have better things to spend my time on. People were like, oh, my God, can you imagine? Like, like the Pauls got scammed. They lost so much money and they got fucking G.I. Joe cards in the video. I've seen some of the video and it's like there's there's like so devastated and it like. Logan Paul is acting like, you know, he's financially ruined, which is fucking bullshit, because that's adding to the drama where he's like, I spend my life savings on it, and it's like, oh, fuck yourself, you know? And it, there's a lot of discourse after this from, you know, other other streamers and people who are in the industry, other companies who, like, check, check for authenticity and stuff like that, that they're like, this was a sham. This was This was faked. Like, he knew he had a fake box of cards, and this was all done for content. And um, that's that's basically the story. And I kind of trickled my thoughts on it. You know, I, I at least I, my thought is that it's very disingenuous. And there's 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 some belief that the uh, the person who said it was authentic, um, the the guy from that the the evaluation evaluating company um, was not in on it. And so by like the Pauls knowingly, um, you know, using a fake box that they passed off as real is ruined the reputation of this company because no one's going to want to use them to evaluate these things anymore. Um, and very disingenuous just for views. Um, but like, like I always like to say um, to all those people who, uh, to use one of our favorite, my favorite examples, Zach, sorry, I don't want to lump you in here. To all those people who go, Impractical Jokers is stupid because it's all staged. My response is always, if anybody is in front of a camera and you're watching it, it's staged. Never believe it's real. You're a fool if you believe yeah. it's real. <laughs> uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, Rob, are you suggesting that this was all a charade? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, and you know what? It's it's like people go, it's like, oh, my God. You know, how, like I say, I, I've seen way too much of Impractical Jokers, which I will admit. And people go, it's like, oh, that's so stupid. I can't watch it because it's staged. And they're like, you know it's staged, right? And I'm like, yes, I know it's staged. And it's still a racist, homophobic train wreck of comedy that I can't look away from. And I can't believe they've gotten away with it for 10 fucking seasons now. (laughs) (sighs) Great madness. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. But good. Nope is a good movie. You know what I say to Nope? Yes. (laughs) Can I I real like just give like a a, I saw one. Now I think about it. I saw one TV spot for Nope. Maybe like. Oh, okay. Oh God! Uh, what would you want to call it? Like an ad in front of a YouTube video or some something, some form of internet indulgence. And it reminded me of like, oh God, it has happened a lot, but like obnoxious marketing. Okay. Like I, it's probably a song. If I had to guess, it's a song. But there was some TV spot where like it's about thirty seconds the actual spot, and it play a scene like a brief sequence from the movie edited down to like maybe like eight seconds, and it would end with like. 
I don't even. It has to be from a song. Which is somebody got. I tried finding it and I couldn't. Okay. It's like scene from the movie, eight seconds long, and then like you would hear somebody go, "Nope," and then like it would be another scene from the movie again, eight ten seconds long, and it'd be. No. Oh yeah, that sounds. It happens, that like, sounds three... bothersome. <laughs> yes, and it happens like three or four times, and it's like, nope, coming to theaters July, blah 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 blah. And I'm just like, if if, if I wasn't already predisposed to want to see this movie, this would turn me off. Yeah, that seems grating. <laughs> it, 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 exactly, like, fantastic word. Did you see a UFO in that cloud? Yep. Nope. I ain't never seen yep. nothing like this. No. Are you ready? Yeah. Run! Holy hell. Nope. 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 Hell no. Nope. And so it reminded me, and just because it's tangentially related to this, just in the sense of just uh, original IP, um, it was from Pacific Rim Uprising, the sequel where Charlie Day is the villain. I'm not sure if Rob knew that. I did I'd not be, know that. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Day is the villain of the Pacific Rim sequel. I think he's the only returning cast member from the first Okay, I was, yeah, I was about to say, is Ron Perlman the hero? <laughs> I, no, I don't know if Ron Perlman's in the sequel. He might be. I, I don't know. I only watched it once. But I remember, like, obviously, Rob remembers Pacific Rim Fever from 2013. Oh, yeah. Um, but... My main I only saw I saw the Pacific Rim sequel like on like Blu-ray or DVD when it eventually came to the library how many years ago. Mm-hmm. But my main takeaway from that movie is a horrendous, horrendous trailer or TV spot, I remember which, where it's like again, stuff is happening, it's sequences from the movie, but played over the entire piece of marketing is some song. Again, I, I it's probably yeah. not that hard to find the same song, but it goes Yup, 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 till I die. And it just plays that like loop. <laughs> it's like a sample that just plays for like two minutes straight. Before our parents ended the war. But now, it's our turn to fight. Y'all, y'all remember me? They've evolved. And they could wipe out all life. Well, he's pretty big. You ready for this? Plan B. Always a plan B. Rated PG-13. And like the nope, like TV spot. I don't know why this is all flooding back to me all of a sudden. I should have kept this like in the beginning for context. But I'm just like, who designs this? Like, you should never like have like shit posting music in like right? multi-million dollar marketing. <laughs> like, no, like it seems like something that shouldn't have to be stated. But if the marketing plan has the word shit and posting in it, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, that that's good. I'm actually glad you used the word shit posting because that's perfect. Because when you were describing the um, you know, like segment, nope, segment, nope, it made me think of the um, the Eli Roth Thanksgiving fake trailer, yep, you yep. know, yeah, <laughs> which is shit posting. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like again, like we live in this really weird, like weird world where like we try to do things very, very by the book, and then we like have just chaos <laughs> yes. on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> Oh, oh man. God. Oh man. That's, All right, that's Rob. Weird. Anything else about Jordan Peele's 
Nope. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm ready to get to questions and snacks, uh, which is All right. it's so we can get it done before you have to go to bed, and, and uh, it'll be perfect yes. for me because I'm hungry and I'm going to eat something after this. So we'll end, when we end Indeed. with snacks, it'll it'll prime me okay. up. Okay, <laughs> good, good. All righty, Rob, Cinemati and or Late Night Movie. Oh, God, I'm going absolutely to both. Um, this is so I, – I don't think I harped on it enough or a lot maybe in our conversation, but this is a very, very strange movie. Like I, 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 I love the visuals. I love how, how kind of, you know, as, like we talked about it, it's the most abstract movie. I think that makes it a cinemodity. And um, I, I was, you know, when I was answering my late night or thinking of my answer before we recorded, I was like, you know, well, th- this is definitely something where, as you mentioned earlier, an experience I'd like to share. I'd like to, you know, let this movie unravel on people. And uh, I, I kind of was like, you know, I, th- I thought about it, that that's one of our, you know, qualifiers for a late night movie. One of our rules that we've broken before, but of course, one of our mainstay rules for late night is that it has to be a one, excuse me, has to be a uh, first viewing for at least one of the parties. And since I want to do that with somebody eventually, and I got to do it with myself and others in that big room and want to relive that experience, um, it's it's an absolutely late night movie. So I'm going absolutely to both. This was a fantastic experience, and um, I'm, I didn't get to see it in theaters again. I don't plan to see it in theaters again because I think it is still playing in Fort Collins, but I got to go see other things like George Miller, uh, which will have happened when this comes out. Um, but uh, yeah, I have to go yes to both. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh Cinemati's the one I'm a little more hesitant on. I'm going to say yes to both because it's a yes for Cinemati because it's at the blockbuster tier. I Mm -hmm. think if this was at the tier below there, I would be like, eh, like it's trying a little too hard. You still have to give credit where credit is due, though. Again, Jordan Peele is a brand in in himself, and he did take $70 million, and this is what (laughs) he made a studio. So, again, you got to give him credit for that. Again, this is somebody could have very easily cashed in on Akira, um, something that's been just floating around Hollywood forever, and it chose not to. Like it's kind of the uh, reminds me of the Brad Bird Tomorrowland thing. Obviously, a much better film than Tomorrowland, but still, that notion of someone could have very easily done the major major product mm-hmm. um, that that would have gotten ten times more notoriety, even if it wasn't, even if it was a much worse film. Sure, but sure. again, it, it's very hard to uh, pioneer new ideas. So, Jordan Peele gets into gets into it again. Plus, it's uh, Jordan Peele, a film I actually like. It's probably the only thing yeah. outside the Terry sketch that I genuinely like that he's yeah. done. <laughs> and we as will bad have as to, that sounds, we will have to see how Wendell and Wild goes, which will I I want to cover it somewhere here at the Patreon because it's a Henry Selleck movie. So we'll have another one in his filmography. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm pretty sure that's going to be very children oriented though so it'll be very different (laughs) um okay then that brings us to the restaurant um i already mentioned it so i'll I'll get this one out of the way Uh, i was thinking that you know uh, i think we've mentioned it a little bit offhandedly maybe not so much as like doing this and and i don't don't think we talked about like the cinematities group of restaurants you know how like like what KFC, A and W, all these like all a lot of these fast food chains are owned by the same company type of thing they have like a group and so maybe we should start, if we don't already have it, the Cinemodities group of restaurants, and we should purchase up the Copper Pots Cove restaurants in the Jordan Peele Cinematic Universe and, um, and you know, make them uh, subsidiaries of Cinemodities uh, because I like Copper Pots Cove as the idea. Um, also, I would assume Copper Pot is a reference to Chester Copper Pot um, from the Goonies, but I don't know. 
that's just a guess of mine because uh, Cove ties in with the Goonies, and um, I love I love Chester Copperpot and the Goonies. You know, that's like my the thing I remember the most about the Goonies for some weird reason. Um, so we should start that. Um, then I think you're gonna like this one, Zach. I don't think we have anybody. You know, we have experiences and maybe not so much rides, but like activities for kids in the sin emodities portion of the restaurant. You know, like the bacteria petting zoo. There's some. There's other things in other. The heavy there. petting zoo. The, I, that's. I don't think that's in the sin emodities portion of the restaurant. <laughs> it's, it, it's somewhere in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. But but specifically for the kids section, you know, we have we have some activities. Um, I don't think we really have any entertainers. I don't think we have any. Like we have walk around characters. Maybe some of them go into that part of the restaurant, but I don't think we have any specifically for it. But you could imagine that, like you know. Oh, you have like a um, maybe back in the day you have like oh a guy in a cheap knockoff Barney costume comes in and entertains the kids, or like the Chuck E. Cheese guy actually walks around every you know hour and entertains the kids. Um, I would like as an entertainer for the sin emodities portion of the restaurant, Gordy. <laughs> oh, legit, just Gordy, just Gordy. <laughs> and um, if maybe um, we we shouldn't maybe it's a it's a sign somewhere in that section, but a small sign uh that you shouldn't pop any balloons when he's out and about <laughs> for a second there, I thought you were gonna say we were gonna have like like a poor like uh uh employee of the cinema of the restaurant sit there have to wear like a giant like tent contraption and pretend they're the alien <laughs> trying to like suck up people that would, that would that would be pretty cool too um you know just like because I've seen uh, videos online of like people in big mascot costumes and they can just kind of like you know. Like they have such so much room in it, they can kind of like it mimic eating somebody, and it like gets them put into their costume. So we could do something like that with the alien for sure. <laughs> I, I feel like again, like much like how Tenant is the ultimate cinematis movie, I feel like the idea of having an attraction that consumes your audience is something that's like also <laughs> cinematis esque. Definitely, uh, absolutely, yeah, right on brand. Um, I think I have two more that are not foods. Even though the two I already mentioned were not foods, except the other <laughs> restaurants. But what did you have, Zach? What came to your mind? All right. This one goes without saying. Um, like not just for the Cinematis restaurant, but very disappointing for actual movie theaters for not offering this. Mm-hmm. Especially that for Minions, there was a Banana Icy. There's oh. cactus ices in this, like legit, oh, like right. icy branded cactus flavor, and it's like, what the hell does cactus flavor ice even taste like? Does it taste like aloe vera? Like, <laughs> I, I, like what does that taste like? Like, I want to know. Um, I know like, you can cook with cactus. I've seen it on cooking shows. I've never had it though. I, I would, but love what is to try what it. is an icy cactus even taste like? It's probably like grass just, clippings it's, and sand. It's probably just dirty ice with green food coloring. You know? <laughs> is that what it is? That's my guess. A Jupes Ranch. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. Um, oh my geez. All right. That's that's one that I definitely want. Um, I love the idea of having just a pig somewhere, like on like on like a seal, like not a ceiling, but just like on the roof of some of the structure in the oh, restaurant, sure. okay. just chilling. Um, fantastic, <laughs> like weird non sequitur, like of all the weird stuff that happened there. Why would there be a pig? Yeah, on yeah. the roof, like very inexplicable, but very surreal. So I'll take it. Um, and then just piggybacking off what you said, I think when it comes to the Gordy's chimp, that should be also what the Blade Runners are hunting as well. Ooh, like I feel like one. once they've captured the Vox Lux animatronic that's the next tier <laughs> that's a good one okay okay i dig that i can get behind that for sure <laughs> 
And they're going to fail because you can't tame the beast, of course. No, no. <laughs> Beyond just the, the, the employee that's running around with like a giant like tent that's trying to like eat people. Like doesn't actually eat people. It's just trying around like, chasing people around the restaurant and trying to eat them. Like that's like that yeah. keeps the kids in like line yeah. occasionally. I'm going to get you. <laughs> okay, okay. Anything else? No, I think oh, that's okay. it food wise for me. I get yeah. that cactus icy is like it's kind of brilliant. It, it's like yeah, I, yeah. I, I so many that. like that should definitely have been one of the Logan Paul questions. Like, what the fuck is a cactus flavored <laughs> icy taste like? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, the last two got are, are pretty quick. Um, one, uh, one I think is 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 easy. Um, you know those? I I also I didn't look back in the spreadsheet to see if we have this, but I kind of it sounds so familiar we might. But if we if we don't, let's fucking get it in there. You know those um those booths that you stand in and and they has it blows the cash all around you and you gotta grab it you know grab as much oh, as you can. Of course, yeah. That but with metal coins in organic material, like you just stand in a booth and the fans are strong enough. It has to... key, somebody's key. Keys. That's Rob. That's yes. that's the lost and found. The lost and oh, found. Like perfect. any of the hard objects is that's what it is. And if you if you if you need to get your your inorganic metal and stuff like that material from the lost and found, you have to play this booth game where the shit is very painful as you're going through it and try and get your stuff back. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, Rob, you figured it out. You figured it out. Okay. Um, the other one, I don't know if we have like, I don't know. Like, uh, I get this is where I was coming with it. You know, when you like go to a beach or you go to anywhere with sand, and some places have like um, the little like showers and like foot spouts where you can like you know you turn on the shower real quick mm-hmm. to wash the sand off and stuff. So when you go back towards the hotel or the resort or whatever, you don't like drag sand everywhere. Um, because, you know, as we said earlier on this podcast, sand is coarse and it gets everywhere. Um, I want that, but it, it sprays blood. Like, I want to recreate mm. the blood rain, but, you know, when you, you know, you like, but that's the thing. I don't know what people have to wash off in the restaurant. I'm sure there's something I'm not thinking of, but I like, I, I don't think we have like a, like a sandbar and water anybody can swim in and we'd be like, you know. Wash your wash your sand off because we don't want to track that in the restaurant. But we're okay with bloody footprints. <laughs> yeah, I don't think maybe we have something like that, but not off the top of my head. Yeah, so so we'll, we'll that's something. So we have that in our in in our you know R and D department the um the the individual blood showers, and uh, we'll just have to see where we can fit it in. You know, when when the need arises, we have that ready to go. You know, it's like um. It's like it's like our Bernoulli's principle. We don't know it's good for flight yet, but once we get flight, it's perfect. <laughs> oh jeez! And then that's it, Zach. We did it. We did I, nope. I, as much as as much as the episode says nope that we didn't, we did do it. <laughs> we said yup. We said yup to nope. We said yup to nope. Absolutely. Oh man. So um. Uh, a few other, a few last bits we have to take care of. If uh, if you want to actually, you know, tell us why you thought Nope was stupid, and um, if you think umbrellas can shapeshift and peacocks can shapeshift, please, please email us at cinemodities at gmail dot com. I would love to hear an explanation about that one. Um, if you like what you hear and you want to uh, get into some more nitty gritty, there's always more episodes over on the Cinemodities Patreon, Patreon dot com slash Cinemodities. Um, I think the god the last thing to come out on this i have no idea but very recently ben and i are doing unfriended to dark web we are finishing up the screen life universe good um, god so um if you if everybody if anybody's on the patreon you know i described unfriended as the movie that shows you what it would be like to live in satan's butthole for 90 minutes um if you want to see how uh how, how uh if satan's butthole we return to it or not uh check it out there 
I would say check out the Reddit, but I haven't looked or touched the Reddit in so fucking long, which I should probably get back on. So this is a, a, a note to self to do that. And um, and then that's it. Zach, uh, I guess then the question is, if you have anything you want to plug, please plug it. Other than that, do you want to say what we're doing next week? Do you want to do you want to try and call oh, our shot? Because you know we've oh, been having God. a good, good record with this in the past few <laughs> months, know, right? right? <laughs> I know, right? Oh, God. I, okay, it will definitely be a movie of the... Um... <laughs> I the, cut the it off thriller there. It variety. Will definitely be a movie. <laughs> it will definitely be a movie. Um, oh God, yeah, probably the safest way to call it that. It will definitely be a movie. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And then the last Even question is as uh, ambiguous as possible. Zach, how are we going to end this episode? And I, I have a, a clear thing. Something we didn't mention in the movie. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's, no there's real... a lot of music in this. We didn't there is up. a lot of music, but um, there is one one portion of music that gets slowed down. We hear in a very weird way, and I don't think I'll be able to get that clip, but I'll be able to find the song. I wear my sunglasses at night is played. In oh this God, movie. yeah! And so I figured that should be played in reverse. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I'll I could that. do some of my own slowing it down because I I can do that in Audacity. Um, to and so play it in reverse. Um, but yeah, okay, we get behind that. Well, uh, uh, I, I guess then the last thing to say, Zach, is nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, we should intersperse. Nope. I'll take uh, the clips of us saying nope. I'll intersparse it through the song in reverse. This randomly? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God.